Hello, everybody, and welcome to the podcast about the one thing I know something about game shows. I suppose I am your host, Jordan Haas. Mike Klaus will be joining me in just a bit to talk about Show Me the Money, but before then, let's play that theme song again. I really hope that theme song doesn't get sick to anybody because, oh man, you're in for a treat today. Anyway, uh, James Holtzauer was back on Jeopardy this week, so I guess it's time to bring back Holtzwatch. James Holtzauer has won 24 days so far. Today, uh, he won $86,905, making his grand total so far $1,867,142. Will he retain? Will he break $2 million? Stay tuned next week for Holtz Watch. Okay, so now it's time for let's look at some game show stuff. First of all, are you smarter than a fifth grader with John Cena has gotten an announced date? June 10th on Nickelodeon. And here is the new rules to 5th grader. Are you ready? It's going to be similar to the old style. There's five 5th graders, but instead of 10 questions, there's now just six. And it's played in two halves. In the front game, there is one 1st grade question, one second grade question, two 3rd grade questions, and two 4th grade questions, making a grand total six. Whatever you get right goes up on the prize ladder, and there's no penalty for screwing up. The values go to $250, $500, $1,000, $2,500, and if you get all six right, you get $10,000. Whatever that is, is yours to keep. In the final round, you have 60 seconds to answer five questions from the fifth grade. For every correct answer, you go up that much money. So for instance, if you got $10,000, you played a perfect game, the next question will be worth $20,000, then $30,000, then $40,000, then 50000 and if you get all five right, that is $100,000. Sounds like a lot of fun. I can't wait to check it out. And hey, John Cena's in it. He's the invisible host because you can't see him. I will still make that joke. Also, Mental Samurai uh, concluded on Tuesday with its grand champion of season one and maybe only season, to be honest, Heather Hurley. So congratulations to Heather for winning Mental Samurai. Speaking of big winners on Fox, Beach Shazam returned also on Monday. And for season three, they did a special premiere episode with all three teams of two being teachers. And not only that, but they gave away $1 million that episode. They gave away a million bucks uh, to a team of teachers. Um, it was uh, Martin Smith and Aaron Smith, who are both teachers. One is an assistant professor of African-American studies at Temple University. The other one uh, teaches math in New Jersey. So I, I was really excited to see someone win a million bucks on Beach of Sam, especially in the premiere episode. It goes to show you that winning a million dollars is doable, especially on network television. And it's such a positive, feel-good, fun show that I keep watching, and I'm still gravitated towards it. And 
they came from behind in the first round. They had no money, and they were pretty much on the cusp of being eliminated from the game. But they not only came up on top, they won a million bucks, which I am surprised by. Uh, so it goes to show you, you never can expect anything from that show. And it's just a nice little guest the songs show. And, and it's fun to easy to play along with. And man, it was the tricky songs as well, let me tell you. Their million dollar song was Found Out About You by the Gin Blossoms, which I couldn't even figure that out. So congratulations to Aaron and Martin. Great work. Uh, now we gotta go to some international formats. People know one of my favorite formats is the Crystal Maze, and it's gonna come back in 2019, but not the entirety of the Crystal Maze. You see, they're going to change one of the Crystal Maze zones. It used to be there was the Aztec zone, the medieval zone, the industrial zone, and the futuristic zone. But now, it looks like the medieval time zone is gone. In favor for an eastern zone? That's right. Alongside futuristic Aztec industrial zones, the Eastern Zone is reportedly influenced by historic arc, architecture, and monuments of East Asia, featuring a lily pond, a cherry blossom, trees, and ornate vases. The zone is made up of five game rooms, including eight exciting new challenges for celebrity contestant teams. Yay? Well, I can't wait to see how it goes when that starts back real soon. Now, over the weekend was the Eurovision Song Contest, and people do not know this. Eurovision is a game show. It is played with multiple countries, and it's basically a singing competition show. It's no different than Pop Idol. It's no different than The Voice. It's just with multiple countries being played. It is the full version's called Eurovision Song Contest. It's televised. It's a televised contest. Ergo, it's a game show. And the Netherlands won uh, th that episode, uh, that year's Eurovision. So congratulations. Although my favorite was Iceland because it was a little kinky, if you know what I mean. <laughs> the reason I'm bringing up Eurovision, besides the fact that it's one of the most talked about things usually every year, is that the United States is getting its own take on the Eurovision Song Contest after the producers of Brain Academy struck a deal to develop a North American remake. The Swedish company, which is best known for producing Keanu Reeves' starring pop TV project Swedish X, is uh, behind this take on the Eurovision Song Contest. It does not currently have a broadcaster attached, and it's going to be called the American Song Contest slated for 2021. It comes after the Nork Entertainment Group-backed company struck a deal with the European Broadcasting Union, the EBU, for the format rights. The American Song Contest is being developed by Brain Academy's Anders Lenhoff and Peter Setman, alongside Christopher Bjorkman and Ola Melzig, who have worked in over 20 Eurovision Song Contests between them. The first Eurovision Song Contest was in 1956, and it was since then 50 nations have taken part in this unique competition, which reaches 200 million viewers in Europe and beyond every year. So... Uh, over six decades, Eurovision Song Contest is, uh, is powered up by public service media, has brought audiences together with its values of diversity, universality, and inclusivity, said ESC's executive uh, supervisor, John Ola. Peter Setman, who's a CEO and creative director of Brain Academy. The timing's perfect. Outside of sports, the Eurovision Song Contest is the biggest TV show on earth. It unites a continent and everybody gets to vote. We can't wait to introduce this wonderful competition to the biggest TV market in the world. TV video audiences are getting bigger every year, so this is the perfect time to bring this exciting show to the American public. I don't know what that means because it's a country. America is a country. So I'm guessing if it's going to be called the American Song Contest, it'll be one singer from all 50 states and then judges from all 50 states get to vote similar to Eurovision. But instead of by country, it's by United States. 
which will still screw over Canada now that I think about it, so fuck this. And two shows have unfortunately not survived. The first of which is Million Dollar Mile. It is now officially off the Saturday lineup, which means it is gone. Who could have seen that one coming, huh? The other one is Child Support from ABC. Who would have thought that Ricky Gervais's uh, quiz show could only last two seasons? Well, of course, I just want to remind people that John Cena's Harry Smith fifth grader is returning to Nickelodeon. Uh, also, the big important news of cancellations, if we're going this far, is Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Unfortunately, not surviving its 20th year. We'll talk more about that in the second half of the show. But uh, the last piece of news today uh, comes from audience taping. Uh, Press Your Luck returned, uh, and they started their taping this week, and a few people gave their fan accounts. Now, I unfortunately, Fremontle Media does not want to get anything disclosed out there because spoilers and, 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 and tut-tuts, but here's everything I can tell you about Press Your Luck, hopefully knock on wood. The Press Your Luck game looks nice. The set looks fantastic. And the whammies are back and the rules are still the same in the first half of the game. In the first half of the game, there's round one and four questions. If you buzz on a correct answer, you get three spins. It then turns into multiple choice with three possible answers. For every one of those, you get one spin. Then we go to the big board. Whoever gets the most money at the end of round one gets the advantage of going last in a round two. In round two, there's four more questions. And another set... Of three if you buzz in and one if you get it right. But on that one, it's the big bucks board. And that is going to be the first half of the game because whoever has the most money at the end of the the second round gets to keep all the cash and prizes they've won up to that point in the game. And they go on to play the exciting bonus end game where they can win $1 million. Okay, got that? that, That's that's done. So the first half is pressure luck. It's just classic-ass pressure luck. Now we're getting into that bonus round, the one that everyone was talking about. That's when it gets a little fishy. That's when everyone's kind of going, what? I don't know, but you know, it sounds a little intriguing if you ask me. So it plays a bit like deal or no deal with a stop and go. Uh, And there is a supporter bench now. So imagine there's a plunger, uh, Elizabeth Banks, and uh, a bench full of your friends and family. On the board is featured prizes. When you wrote your application early on, There were some dream prizes, maybe a cruise, maybe a car. Those are going to be up on the board as well as really big money. In the first round, you can get $10,000 as the big bucks. In round two, it's $15,000. In round three, it's $25,000. Then it's $50,000. Then $75,000. In the final spin, $100,000. And the amount of spins goes down with every round which makes it a little easier for you to decide if you want to press your luck or quit the game. But uh, if you press on and you hit the whammy, you lose everything you want in that round, just like in classic press your luck style. Why should you go all the way? Well, here's why. If you can get a set number of money, I believe it's half a million dollars, all of it goes up to $1 million. So it's million dollar Press your luck. And these personalized prices are also on the line as well. So it gives it this sort of mix of deal or no deal with press your luck that is sort of refreshing, but also kind of weird in a world of press your luck where it's three people. Um, but but you know what? I'm actually intrigued to see how this goes. Classic whammies are back as well as some new popular whammies that are sure to make people laugh and go, oh, darn, that's a lot of money lost. And I 
everyone's going to have this debate of of why is this here? Why why is there a single player in game? I haven't seen it yet. I can't wait to see it on June 12th. But from what I'm gathering, it's going to have this deal or no deal atmosphere. I can just picture Elizabeth Banks after maybe round one or round two say, well, you have $35,000 more. You can take that and leave or you can keep playing. If you do, you have four more spins. But look, $25,000 on the board. That's an extra $100,000 and you're just five sp- and you're this much away from winning the million dollars. So what do you want to do? Do you want to press your luck or do you want to pass? Ah, press your luck. Go on. The only thing I, I'm kind of worrying with with this endgame is because it's a solo game and there's stop goes. Because uh, stop and goes are basically like, do you want to stop or do you want to keep going? That's what I mean by stop and go. What if a person stops early in round one or two of this game? Because that just kind of, you know makes the next few acts meaningless ultimately and or, or what if someone goes and they whammy out of the game that also ruins the amount of acts in the structure of the show unless you're going to like do some sort of audience game or some sort of filler to add time to the show i i don't know people might just want to walk away early on after they got a few of their personalized prizes. At least that's the way I'm looking at it, because it seems like the million dollars is not that feasible compared to Beat Shazam, but who's to say? I'm intrigued. I want to see this new Press Your Luck. I want to see the whammies. I just want to see that first half of the game myself, because to me, that's a nostalgia factor. But with this new million-dollar format, who knows? This could be the next big thing, actually. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing Press Your Luck, and I want to see that whammy again. William Shatner is famous for all sorts of roles, from Star Trek to The Twilight Zone to Boston Legal on ABC to being the Priceline Negotiator. But did you know he was also a game show host? For one short moment, ABC wanted to cash in on the success of Deal or No Deal and decided to get the guy who created that show to create the newest hit series. In this episode, we're going to look back at the show that had a very short lifespan, so much show that this whole ep- podcast episode is actually going to last longer than both of the episodes combined. And I think it's going to be a long, long time. William Shatner is famous for all sorts of roles, from Star Trek to Twilight Zone to The Priceline Negotiator to Boston Legal on ABC. But did you know he was also a game show host? For one short moment, ABC wanted to cash in on the success of Deal or No Deal and decided to get the guy who created that show to create the newest hit series. In this episode, we're going to take a look back at the show that had a very short lifespan. So much show that this whole podcast episode lasted longer than both episodes that aired combined. So put on your dancing shoes and your thinking caps. 
It's time to show me the money. Now let's turn the table. With me on the line is a trivia mastermind, a, a mathematician, a math magician, and a game show friend of mine. Mike, how's it going? How much did I pay you for that opening? Oh my gosh. You're making me sound like a candidate for sainthood after that. I, I appreciate it though, Jordan. Uh, we have had a good like almost two hours of non-recorded things because we don't normally chat like over the over Discord or through Skype or anything. It's usually through the text, so it's fun like going into each other's minds about game shows and how to do things in terms of trivia, in terms of math, in terms of prize trees, uh, in terms of the fandom as a whole. It's we a covered good. basically everything over the last two hours. We should have recorded it. We wouldn't have a reason to do this podcast right now. But unfortunately, that's not our podcast. Our podcast is not just chatting it about, although it sometimes is that way. It is a game show podcast where we take a look at a game show. Uh, I already know Mike's history of game shows, uh, the, the part of the game show Throwdown, uh, a, a big quiz brain, Taconda, you name it, you've done it. You're, you're, you're on your way to millionaire, possibly. <laughs> Fingers crossed, uh, given it's coming back, um, I, I did. Uh, I am in the contestant pool. Uh, unfortunately, I passed the test uh, with about three weeks in the taping season last year. Uh, but I am in the pool for 1920, 2019-2020, given it comes back. Fingers crossed. So hopefully I'll hear from them sometime in the next two to three months. And and people who've, who've already seen me on Twitter or seen me on Twitch know... I'm like average at trivia. If there was a game show called Beat the Average, I would be the average. I am like, I get 30s on the Jeopardy quiz. I, I, I'm i not. Well, <laughs> don't give up. That's what I've got to tell you. Um, do not give up because I've taken the Jeopardy test now. Gosh, it's probably been 25 years. Whoa. And and I even back the, the first couple times I did it, it was in person and they did a 10 question qualifying test for beginners and you had to get seven right and mind you this is 1994 so it must have been about 25 years ago and i really wasn't in a good place in, in life at that time uh in terms of my abilities uh what i wanted to do in life etc cetera, etc cetera. uh but uh i mean even uh 18 years ago, 2001, just uh, about a month after 9-11, I did take the Jeopardy test at Sony Picture Studios in the Jeopardy studio. And I got, I'm not kidding, I did actually keep track of this, which is a sin on my part. You shouldn't keep track of how many you got right and wrong during the game. But I got 34 right according to my math. And 35 is the passing score, supposedly. And there was one question which... Just for the love of me, I could not think of the right answer. It was stuck in my head. It's almost like it's like the opposite of when you get a, 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 a earworm song stuck in your head. This was a word which I know, but I just can't think of the word. And the word was acoustics. And the closest I got to it was aesthetics. Oh. And right after I left the Jeopardy studio, after they said, okay, you know, here's the people who passed. Everybody else have a nice day. I stepped out of the studio and I'm like, 
acoustics. <laughs> and and, and, and I, I mean that haunted me for 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 years. And the the funny thing is, in one of the Jeopardy books, I'm guessing it was written well over ten years ago. They actually had the exact same test that I took that day in oh, the book. I retook the test, never looked at the answers again after t- uh, taking the test uh, back in that day 18 years ago. Retook the test. I got 47 right. Whoa. And have 50, right? So it's like. So I went from 34, presumably, to 47. And I didn't look up the answers beforehand or after. It's just stuff that through attrition or seeing it on the show or playing games or what have you, it soaked into my head. So that's why when I tell you, you're saying I'm average, I'm average, I'm average. As you watch these shows and see different patterns and see clues being repeated and just, I mean, even with the internet, just the, 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 the wealth and bounty of information on the internet, you'll, you'll, you'll absorb that. And that will make you that much of a better trivia person because a lot of Jeopardy, also a lot of Learned League, a lot of other trivia endeavors is not necessarily patterns, but clues where if you add up the clues, it'll take you to the doorstep and say, oh, I knew that. And it's stuff that, I mean, stuff that maybe you saw in high school or middle school that... You haven't touched in 20 years, but there's a trigger which says, oh, I know that. And just really fast, an example of this is uh, from Learned League this past uh, this past league, this past year, uh, the past season, I should say. There was a question about a Japanese haiku poet, and one name came to mind, and it was the right answer, and only about... 10% of Learning League got it right, so it's a very tough question. The reason I remember it is because, A, it's just something that stuck with me in high school, but also, coincidentally, I work with a teacher who has the same last name as that poet. <laughs> well, and the thing is, the, the poet is Japanese. The teacher I'm talking about is Albanian. So go figure how they have the same last name. But that, that was that little trigger that made me say, oh my gosh, I know this. And this isn't even something I really had to think about. It's like, this is the only Japanese haiku poet I know. So let me put this in for the answer before I second guess myself. So yeah, don't fret. Don't frown. If you get 30 right on the test, 31 on the test, that should give you the drive to do better because you're there. You just need an extra two or three points and then you'll be in that territory. Okay. Now I'm in the pool. I'm eligible. But the problem is Jeopardy doesn't even tell you if you're eligible because I know last year I got 42 right on the test, 43 right on the test. I never got an email saying, congratulations, you passed the test. Congratulations, you're in the pool. No, they'll only send you invitations if you get selected to play at their auditions. So you you really don't have a true gauge unless you actually go back and watch it and research the answers and say, well, actually, it'll give you the answers, I think. on yeah. uh, they, they put them on YouTube. People will either post the answers, or I think they might post the answers. So then you can sort of grade yourself and see where you're at. But by no means, don't give up, because, I mean, if I gave up on trivia endeavors after failing at the Jeopardy test or the, the, the three or four millionaire auditions that didn't go well, 
I wouldn't be where I'm at now, which is potentially on the precipice of being on a show in the next three to four months. And also, your trivia endeavors brought you to a whole lot of game show icons and legends of trivia. Th- that's the thing I mean by attrition. If you, it seems like if you have smart people inherently, I don't know if it's because it rubs off or because you um, you, you get their habits or whatever, or, or just again seeing the the wealth of information and knowledge, you sort of get better by association. And it's uh, and it's weird because you were talking about you went to Taconda and you were like brushing off of all of these trivia heavyweights like Ann Haggerty from the Chase, uh, Ed Houghton, rest in peace. Uh, and, and like it's all of these trivia masterminds. And I think it's the quest of you're never going to get everything right. You're never going to know everything. So it's always fun to know just that one thing you didn't know. It's the it's the quest not for perfection, but of always learning something new. That's absolutely it. And that's actually one thing that I do preach in my room is I'm very big on building knowledge. And to that extent, I've got a Jeopardy calendar and a sports Jeopardy calendar. And the kids say, well, you know, why do you have all these calendars? Because there's information here that either you or I don't know. But once we see it, oh, it's a new fact we learned. It's something that might be valuable one day. Gosh knows it might be something for a million dollars on millionaire. It could change your life forever. You never know. So, yeah, I I really try to have students and not just students, but everybody in my school embrace acquiring new knowledge. And that's one reason I'd love to be on millionaire, which, again, hopefully is going to happen this summer, is because I want my principals to show this during school because I think if students actually see someone they can relate with, someone they know, on a game show winning 10000 20000 50000 100000 whatever, that's relatable. Oh, Mr. Klaus did that. Why can't I do that in 10 years or five years? Also, I think that's also encouraging to any of the listeners at home, too, who are just listening to this game show podcast, because they're probably going into this going, when are they going to rail on show me the money? We will soon. Don't worry. But it, it, it's this aspect that I really wanted to bring home into this podcast, because, yeah, it's a comedy podcast. Yeah, it's a game show podcast. It's something from the heart. But I don't know everything about every game show. So it's always fun, especially when it's people I know can give me factoids about stuff that even I have no idea with. Because now I get expanded. And I think even if it's not a game show, if it's something that you're interested in, you might not know everything about it. But there will be that one thing you don't. And that will always expand your knowledge. And then something new shows up. And if you can expand it and branch out, it's always exciting. It doesn't necessarily have to be like read a book every day, but it's like just that one trivia question, that one that one article, that one that that one piece of fiber that you don't really know much about. Like, what is economics? What is social studies? What is psychology? Like, yeah. even if you are never planning on going to college, because apparently some of my listeners are high school people and they're not, and they're still not sure what to do. I say the easiest thing I can recommend you guys doing, even if you have no plans on college or feeling like like doubting yourself, is go to a library and or pick up textbooks that are on the cheap end, like the the the, the fifth edition when everyone's on the sixth or seventh edition, because you'll still get a lot of the factoids on the cheap and 
most all curriculum goes off these textbooks. Well, I'm going to add on to that. Um, you're absolutely right about getting older edition textbooks, especially on places like eBay, because uh, I've actually done that in the past. I actually picked up old textbooks that I had in college, and no joke, I didn't pay more than a dollar for them before shipping. Uh, and I, that's the perfect price. I'll pay, you know, maybe I won't pay $5 plus shipping for one or 10, but a dollar plus shipping. Okay. I think I can live without that Big Mac today. If you talk to my doctors, they'd agree. But um, uh, regarding high school, and the thing is, I'm a high school teacher, and I've been doing this for going on close to 15 years, so I think I'm a, a, a somewhat of an expert on the topic. College is not for everybody. I get that. I mean, everybody gets that. Hopefully, your schools, and unfortunately, mine does not offer these options. Uh, they offer some sort of vocational tech options, some sort of alternate pathways, uh, you know, going into nursing, STNA, going into computers, automotive, what have you. Yeah, you know, that's one way of going. Or if you're unsure about college, what I tell my students is, and maybe it's because of the area I live, I tell students, go to community college, try it out for a semester yes. or two. If you don't like it, that's fine. Community college is going to cost you $2,000, $3,000 a semester, $1,000. Actually, I, even for my students, since I teach in uh, Cleveland proper, Cleveland students have been able to go to the local community college for free. So what are you losing if you try it? I mean, the only thing you're going to lose is textbook money, which is going to be, you know, four or $500. But the thing is, you try it out. You see how you feel. Are the classes difficult? Can I get uh, accustomed to an area, a culture where, yeah, I'm used to, let's just, you know, say my school, which is 99% African-American. If I'm coming from a 99% urban African-American school and now I'm being immersed with, white folks and Indians and Europeans and people from every part of the world. And then on top of that, straight, gay, lesbian, trans, bi, et cetera, et cetera. Can I conform or, uh, to, uh, uh, to, to that type of, of culture and, and in terms of acceptance, but also just tolerance. I mean, going from high school to college is a huge jump and it's not for everybody. And, you know, maybe it's not something at age 18 you can handle, but when you get to 28, maybe you'll be more mature. Maybe having 10 years of life in the working world might change your mind. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's not for everybody, but by no means is a junior college or a community college like a, a, a black mark on you. And education is an education. I, I, I'm, thank you so much, Mike, for, for helping me out with this. I, I, I figure, like... I, I have a platform here. I might as well use it, something for the positive for some listeners that are out there. You're a go-to guy in education in terms of this. And and obviously a game show friend of mine, like we, we've been friends for maybe two, three years now, chatting about game shows every once in a while. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been, yeah, probably two, three, four years at this point. Uh, you, you've done, we've, we've throw down, we've talked about the game show throw down in, in, while shout outs to Adam and Travis and all the others there. Uh, cause it's such a, cause I have to always explain that like the game show fandom when it's done right is I, I always say it's toxic. Like I've, I've always like for a while, I've always been like, this is a toxic environment. 
There's a lot of awful people saying awful things online about people's sexualities or people's like politics. And it's like, I can understand in terms of media critique how they have that opinion. But in other ways, it's how that they relate in terms of game shows. And some people are very awful. We have spoken of a, of a couple of names before recording. <laughs> and we kind of analyzed why. We're not doing psych evaluations per se. We're just kind of saying, well, we kind of know where they're coming from. But when right. you see people in the industry or people on the cusp of the industry wanting to get in and they love the genre, they love playing games, they love testing out formats, they love writing questions, they like tinkering, they like playtesting, they'll gladly be a contestant on your tryout of a game show, they'll gladly be in an office for, for a show run. There's something with those people and in the circle in that environment that is and I'm not kidding, the greatest feeling in the world if you're a game show fan, if you are a fan of this industry, getting people who have insider knowledge, who love the game show as much as you do, and are willing to share share their love with you. And sometimes it's passed off like a like a you know, like a game night sort of way. Other times it's presented as just a we're just having a good time. Let's see what works, what doesn't work in this thing. But no matter what happens, there's this feeling of joy that when I see it and I and I think back to it, pushes me into why I love this industry and love this genre in the first place. Yes, there are a number of torchbearers who, for, for lack of a better phrase, are or are or were one of us, and they are basically the future of game shows. So you know they're in and you're not going to have hopefully not going to have somebody you know, start a game show using a, a classic game show name and they're going to ruin the format so bad that it won't be touched for two generations. Card Sharks. What? what? <clears throat> well, but I mean, even Card Sharks is coming back and we'll have to see what they're going to do with that. But the thing is, yeah, Card Sharks 18 years ago was a, a catastrophe. And I'm not even getting into the whole playing one row of cards or the chip clips or the video clips or the money cards, which is now a money pyramid where you're risking your money instead of having your previous weddings guaranteed. No, I'm not getting into that stuff. But uh, but people like Bodo. The, 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 the genre's in good hands. We know that. And also, I say it for me, but also for you. The people we know in the industry who know us or know of us, they're doing a good job. They are doing a fantastic job. They're doing a great job. job. I'm not going to say they're doing a good job. The the people, the names that we know and recognize from Match Game and $100,000 Pyramid and, I mean, even uh, other shows like like, uh, Funny You Should Ask. Yes, yes Maybe. people say it's Hollywood Squares, but it's a breaking down version of Hollywood Squares. What's the most important part of Hollywood Squares? It's those bloopers. It's those jokes. Like, I'm going to, and I'm not going to say who said this, but a dear friend uh, said uh, that Hollywood, or that funny you should ask, the alternate name for it should be Hollywood Chairs. <laughs> because that's what it is. It's the Hollywood Squares Zingers. But instead of being in a 3x3 three three array, they're sitting in two rows of three lounge chairs slinging uh, prefabricated jokes. And these are fun questions. It's good. Plan. Yeah, the budget is very cheap. But the thing is, it has this appearance of like a comedy club vibe that, you know, like, 
a comedy club can't dish out five thousand dollars in a day. So so for this show, it, it works. And I, I look at all these people in the industry and where they're coming from and how they come come up in the ranks, and it's they all love the product. A lot of the people working on Double Dare loved Double Dare in the eighties, and they're working on it now, and it's this cool generation effect. And exactly. And yes, there are some that are just in it for the money. There are others that are just like the corporate goons going, well, you know, this worked like 20 years ago. So why not try and bring it back today? And it's, well, they don't understand time periods, why it worked back then, why it wouldn't work now or why it would work today. Well, and also bringing back a game or a show in name only doesn't have that sense of nostalgia as again double dare i mean how many tv remakes have we seen in the last few years that were actually shows from 20 25 30 35 years ago you know fuller house one day at a time uh the, the roseanne reboot i'll be you know that well now it's the tan that's roseanne's <laughs> fault happened there the less we say about Connors, that, the better. Connors, but but that's but that's the point is basically what is old is now new again and the, the scripts and, and stuff haven't changed that much. Maybe they're more contemporary, but it's still similar to the show that we're used to, that that warm feeling of, you know, oh, this was something in my childhood when I was eight years old. And, you know, it brings you back to watching TV with your grandparents or with your parents when you're sick from school. Yes. If it's not one of those, it is a... It is something that was a, a success from another country, such as a deal or no deal, a who wants to be a millionaire for talking UK, because there is no risk involved with the people in corporate. It's, well, it was a hit in Australia, it was a hit in Canada, it was a hit here. I can't take all the blame. And the third is you have to have an A-list celebrity these days, like a LeBron James for The Wall, for instance, or Steph Curry for Holy Moly. If... <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm, I'm, He's I'm, not, not well, no, 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 I, I, I'm not laughing at that. It's just one of my students is a big Steph Curry fan. She has a Golden State Warriors book bag. She, all she wears are Steph Curry T-shirts and jackets and whatnot. Hey, hang on, a can you could you please repeat what city you're from? <laughs> I was going to get to that. Um, <laughs> As a subtle reminder, since I just mentioned it, I am a teacher in the Cleveland School District, Cleveland, Ohio, not Cleveland, Tennessee. And there has been a little bit of a uh, rivalry the last four years uh, in the NBA Finals. And and I I let her know about it, saying, why are you not a Cavs fan? And and yeah, I, I've been feeding off of that the, the number of years I've known her. But I approached her the other day and said, hey, blankety blank, I got some news for you about Steph. Oh, you mean he scored, you know, 25 points the other night or what? And I said, no, no, no. Your boy's going to be on a golf show this year. What? <laughs> and, 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 uh, no, you, you, Steph Curry's going to be on a golf show. Well, I know he's a good golfer, but what would he do on a golf show? And I said, it isn't just a golf show. It's, do you remember Wipeout? And she said, yeah. I said, it's Wipeout or like Wipeout, but it's going to be a miniature golf version and Steph Curry is producing it and he's going to be the on air quote unquote expert. And she's like, no, you're full of it. Pull you're, up my phone, pull up Holy Moly, 
I, I showed her the article on uh, I, I don't remember if it was Deadline or Variety. It was that, it was that or like, Critic? It's, yeah, it's one of those. And then she's like, "Oh my gosh, he's really going to be doing a golf show this uh, summer." That is so cool. It's like, oh my god, you are just the biggest Steph Curry homer ever. Yeah, she. You know, she's going to try and get the holy moly T-shirt. She's going to fly out to Paramount Ranch. Oh yeah, I, I just. I mean, yeah. Oh, no, no, don't get me wrong. I like LeBron James. Hi, I, I like Los. I'm from Los Angeles, so I have to buy. I guess now by association, have to like LeBron James. And hey, he's your he problem. Sh- and he has a show like, like for instance, Million Dollar Mile. Like it, it, it's a good on paper because he isn't. He definitely knows athletics. He knows how to do athletic competition, and it worked on paper. But the play testing on that game faltered, and I think that's why what, what led to the show's premature cancellations, shall we say? But something like the wall, which everyone goes, it's just plinko, it's just plinko, whatever. It has this appeal that definitely speaks to anyone who knows what, Re- what LeBron James actually seems to understand game shows in the competition field. Whenever I hear him talk about the wall, he talks about it in the terms of him as a player in the NBA. Like, I remember he talked about the idea of the contract, you know, that that big contract at the end. Right. Like, he said that 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 moment there is basically him debating between the Cavs and the Heat. Like, that that moment of of that contract signing is, do you follow where your heart is or do you go for the unknown? And, And things like that that he brought up and it's like, wait, wait. Like, so he understands game shows in that regard of the deal making and the big decision making. And he well, it, it's more than just him. Obviously, he has his posse, Glassman, uh... <laughs> Glassman and, and Maverick Carter and them. Um, he's doing different stuff. I mean, I've seen both uh, episodes of Million Dollar. The twenty five thousand dollar sprint. I that's essentially what it is. I but, mean, it, it's not Million Dollar Mile. It's more like twenty five run. It's the $10,000 um, fun run. <laughs> it's the Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it's good in theory, but, you know. Uh, they didn't play it, test it's sort, it. It's, it's sort of like doing, if you want to take it to a trivia aspect, if you do the chase where the chaser is Ken Jennings or Brad Rutter and the people going against the chaser are eight-year-olds who don't know anything. It's, I mean, the, 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 the quality of the defenders are, million dollar mile is so much above the the competitors it's it's laughable it's it's like they couldn't find some normal joe who's done you know uh, the the rough mutter or whatever it's called tough mutter or the 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 iron man triathlon or i know there's some uh, running competition in colorado which is 100 miles somebody like that yeah, that's, you know, maybe not first or second, but let's say top 5%. You know, that's different than getting, uh, you know, earlier this week there was a QB uh, who played at U- University of Massachusetts who was the son of a quarterback for the Browns back in the 80s. Yeah, he may have had physical abilities in terms of quarterbacking throwing, but, I mean, if you threw, say, Baker Mayfield or – even more laughable, like a Tom Brady or Eli Manning, who's, you know, 38, 40, 42 years old. There's no chance in heck they would survive that. Touchdown, Tom. I actually came up with like a way to fix it, too. Like my idea was 
you know, like the idea is supposed to be the four minute mile. Like that is supposed to be the peak athleticism is you run a four minute mile. And they want to do American Gladiators, right? So like they the defenders are like the gladiators. They're supposed to be the constant on the show. Why not just right. make it a 10 minute timer and you just go through as many obstacles as you can in the 10 minutes, but you have to come back before the 10 minutes is up to bank any of the money. And there's a defender on the field and it's like you get a two minute head start on this obstacle or a minute head start on this obstacle and then they show up. If they beat you on this at the time of the obstacle, something like that would have made it a little more at least easier, feasible. And, and you know what this takes me to? It, it takes me back to what you mentioned. We've had the Titan games, which was not bad. It's I mean, I enjoyed bad. watching it. Did but you know it's based is- off Dwayne Johnson's routines? Oh, yeah. I've heard that. You should. Did you hear it was based off Dwayne Johnson's? I wish they told me more about that, you know? Like, it's based off Dwayne Johnson's routines and exercise. Like, wow. I, I, I feel like really inadequate right now talking about that. <laughs> but, but, um. Look who's talking. The, the, the thing is, the, 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 <laughs> I mean, the, the, I, I actually, I think the casting might be all wrong. I think the people you have on the Titan games should have been on Million Dollar Mile and vice versa. That would, oh man, you're actually right with that because the ones that they have on Titan Games are you know like the big arm, big bicep dudes, like they're the big right. Did they do like marathon? And but the ones on on Million Dollar Mile were like marathon runners, like they have the sprinting. Right. So yeah, I think if you change the uh, the the contestant personnel on those two shows, I think you might have something. But also with all this talk of you saying American Gladiators, American Gladiators, why not just bring back American Gladiators or did Layla Ali and Hulk Hogan destroy the franchise that much 11 years ago? I mean, A. Smith and Ka- A. Smith and company have tried to get the rights to it and pitched it. And I mean, if the American Ninja Warrior people and if they got the hands of it, it might be fun to see. I don't think it's totally sullied, but the thing is, because people have the appeal now of American Ninja Warrior and that obstacle course, why would you watch the Eliminator these days? Because the Eliminator essentially is the obstacle course. Yeah, but uh, here's my belief. The the Eliminator is the original, like you said, but it's better than what we have, I think. The the Eliminator changed so much over the years. I mean, if you saw the original Eliminator versus what they ended up with, they ramped up the difficulty. They ramped up using all the muscle groups, using your arms and your legs and and whatnot, and and, lifting and pushing and, and whatnot. I, I really think the variety of games this probably better than anybody else. The Titan games, when I first saw it, if you look at it from a whole, albeit, you know, is sort of disjointed, it did look like American Gladiators version 3.0. It did. I, w- I would say it was, if you can't bring that back, Titan games is the closest you can come to that. Especially with Pl- that final run, the Titan, what was it, the Titan sprint, the... The one where it's yeah, like the, you, you have to go up, the, you have to push the wall up, then you have to slide down here, you have to pull the handle, then you got to slide down this, then you have to grab the you, key. Right. Yeah. And I, I don't know. It's just Gladiators, I think, is timeless. Titan Games, I mean, it just didn't have the same feel for whatever reason. And I would assume the reason that I didn't get that same feel is your contestants, if you lost, you're one and done. Yeah. At least with Gladiators, you stayed on for the whole show for the entire five events and the Eliminator. And then whoever won the Eliminator after the uh, handicap uh, was applied for, you know, number of points earned, 
you move on to the second round. It isn't, okay, here's player one, player two. One of them is going to survive, and that person's going to meet the winner of game of the player three, player four for the opportunity to move on in the tournament. Because you might not be good at Joust. You might not be good at Joust, but you'd be good at the wall or Atlasphere, which is everyone's favorite because that's a big hamster ball. Right. And the thing is, if you saw uh, Gladiators back in the day, that's exactly what it is. You might have somebody who does an amazing job at Powerball or Assault, and they'll get you know such a big lead over their competition. But when their competition got to Joust or the wall, maybe that's more to their strength. It, it's sort of a leveling agent. It, it, you, you have like a reasonably level playing field unless you're that much better than the rest or uh, the other way around. You're that much worse than the rest. Which is why, in conclusion, give Smith and company the rights to the Krypton Factor so they can do a mix of American Gladiators with the Mental Samurai puzzles. That th- That's actually brilliant. I mean, th- th- I, I, I... That's... Have you figured out this is like the course I, of the I gotta show? give you a round of applause for that. I'm, that's that's actually a very brilliant idea. The Krypton I, factor is something that hasn't been tried here for thirty years almost, and even it was tried in the UK. Well, gosh, oh I think no, it was about ten years ago. Was, but it wasn't. It wasn't a bad show. No, it wasn't, and it's like that is worth bringing back. Anyway, as we're talking about bringing, hey, back- why are we talking about something else? All right. <laughs> Normally, we're, we're supposed to be talking about a game show, but all you need to know about this show is it's based off a famous phrase from a fun movie from the 90s called Jerry Maguire. And you I know what that what phrase is. is. Not without my agent. <laughs> no, it's That's what Shatner show me said. The money. <laughs> it aired on ABC for three episodes, bombed, then got picked up for GSN for the rest of the recording season. And fell off the wasteland too. So it's the only game show that I can think of in modern times that has been canceled twice. Well, not just that. ABC shared th- showed three episodes. GSN two. <laughs> and they promise. And the thing is, so the rule of game show is, if the episode doesn't air, odds are you don't get paid. You get paid within ninety days of broadcast date. So GSN bought the rights to show me the money. And basically, like, yeah, we'll pay the offset of, of the production cost of the payment. Whatever. It's only going to be, what, $200,000 or something? They they didn't air those episodes. So whoever are those remaining, like, four contestants, five contestants, don't get paid their easy million dollars. Let's just say it's an easy million dollars to win on this show. I thought I read that somebody got paid off that show. Okay. Then, then never because, mind that. Now, now, again, this is going on 13-year-old memories. But I believe on that third episode uh, that ABC aired, there was somebody who was on like the fast track to getting well over a million dollars. And his game got interrupted maybe four questions into the game, four correct answers into the game. And he was somewhere either in the millions or darn close to the millions. Well, with four questions, he wouldn't have been in the millions, but he could have been somewhere in the seven, eight hundred thousand dollar range. And, oh, we're out of time. We'll see you next time. And lo and behold, cancellation. GSN picks it up, shows two episodes, and it's now gone forever. But I do, I thought I read someplace that he did get paid. Okay, that's good. So, for, so you want to start with the game? Do you want to talk about the show? Or do you want to talk about the origin story and the show's creator? Oh, you can go wherever you want. I think starting with the creator would be best, though, and, and sort of a genesis of how the show was created. So the year is, is 2007. 
Here's 2000. Let me go actually go into the actual archive. It started, yeah, it was this November 15th, 2006. So that was the, the air date. Seven episodes, two unaired. Okay, so it was five, two unaired. So. Okay, so after the fifth episode, that, like I said, the person was over a million dollars and there was the break in the place. And uh, supposedly he got paid, but who knows about the other people that were on the missing two episodes? So we'll take you back to a time period called 2006. People were making Twilight jokes on the internet. People were saying Justin Bieber online as a joke. And there was a huge game show on NBC called Deal or No Deal, where creator of Bobby's World, Howie Mandel, would interrogate contestants into making life-changing decisions or open up briefcases that contained little pieces of cardboard that said $1 million on it. And based on personal experience... The audience had to make similar decisions. Do I really want to sit through eight hours of this crap, or do I want to go home? No, we're making life-changing decisions here. Three hundred thousand is still in play. Um, but the show was an instant success. Eighty million views. Eighty million viewers on on the opening week, and it was a bona fide success. People said to Howie Mandel on the street, "Hey, Howie, deal or no deal?" And he's like, "Don't touch me. I'm Howie Mandel." And <laughs> and because of that success, ABC was trying their hands at coming up with their own deal or no deal hit, having been the millionaire creators come 99. So what they decided to do was they had a few shows in mind, such as Set for Life with Jimmy Kimmel. And the other one was something that they had with William Shatner as the host because he did Boston Legal in the practice at the time. And because Dancing with the Stars is on their network, well, why don't we combine Boston Legal's own William Shatner and Dancing with the Stars in the aesthetic and make a luck-based game show with the deal-or-no-deal creator Dick DeReich called Show Me the Money. It can't fail. It's the deal-or-no-deal creator. He created deal-or-no-deal. How could it possibly fail, right? No, it, it couldn't fail because you had beautiful women. You had tons of money. You had a host, which is a, caric a caricature of himself. It can't fail. So here's how the game works. There are 13 million dollar dancers. Hey, we got to dance. All right. The 13 million dollar dancers are all standing next to a pole in a very revealing outfit, which may or may not be politically correct by modern-day standards. And well, as I mentioned earlier, um, I think the polls were there more fathers, the elderly viewer, It's for the dads the in the room. The dads. So the $13 million dancers, they don't have briefcases. No, 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 they don't have briefcases. I'm trying to be William Shatner here. I'm doing a really bad impression. And the amounts range from $20,000... All the way to a quarter of a million dollars. 20,000, 40,000, 60,000, 80,000, 100,000, 120,000, 140,000, 160,000, 180,000, 200,000, 220,000. And of course, if we're going by 20,000s up, 250,000. What? <laughs> Somebody missed that day in math class. You know, you, you know, the you know, when you go up 20,000s, eventually, you know, 220,000 plus 20,000 quarter million dollars, obviously. But as you may have heard by me speaking very fast, I only listed off 12 amounts. That's because one of the million-dollar girls, the million-dollar dancers, is not like the others. They are carrying the killer card. Dun, dun. 
What happens if you hit the killer card? Well, I'll tell you when you hit it. But first, let's answer some trivia questions. Alright. But really, uh, so the killer card, I'll explain it a little bit after the trivia question. So, the way it works is a contestant's given the first half of a question. And this is something that I really love in question writing. So, for instance, uh, what what Jack dot dot dot? Yeah, we were talking about this before we went live. That is one of my favorite mechanics when um, Sandy Stewart used it in Twisters, the pilot back in 82, and on Your Numbers Up, and also on uh, a little-known ESPN game show from 25 years ago, which is one of my favorite ESPN shows ever, uh, Sports on Tap. Oh, that's right, Sports on Tap. Oh, man, I I can't wait to cover Sports on Tap. Oh, man. <laughs> that was such a good show, and they only got one season. So it was... Uh... <clears throat> So, for instance, if I said, uh, what Jack dot dot dot, then the contestant has to choose between A, B, or C. Because A, B, C, right? <laughs> it's network. Hey, I didn't notice that till now. That's stupid. But okay. So they pick A, for instance. Let's go with A. <clears throat> what Jack dot dot dot. Then they fill in the rest of the question. What Jack black movie from 2003 stars him as a substitute teacher named Dewey Finn? And then if they don't know the if and then they have to basically do every game show contestant back then. Well, I don't. I will. Uh, well, hmm. Uh, well, I I know Jack Black is funny. Um. Well, uh. Oh, uh. Yeah, they, they hem and haw for about three minutes. And then if but they then what happens? The question or pass it to B or C. Yes. Uh, and then it's like okay, B. What Jack Daniels? State is the home city of, and then insert the team, because then you'll know it's Tennessee, so you have to say blank Tennessee. And then it's, if you don't know that, or you want to answer, you can, or you can pass it to the third one, but once you pass to the third and final one, there's no going back. And then it's like, what what Jack uh, uh, in the box menu item <laughs> is has the most calories. There's always something crazier. It's always one of the questions is, is spontaneously weird, and then the other two are actually good. <laughs> and I like that in the aspect of trivia questions, but the problem is, you know that definitely is a disaster for any writer in that studio. It, it's a challenge for the writers, but also the thing that bugs me is you're giving th them three attempts to answer questions for... Literally life-changing amounts on a single question, $200,000, $220,000, Yeah. Uh, and you have three separate chances. So if you're not sure about the first or the second, oh, let's go for the third. And this was something I mentioned uh, earlier to Jordan. I said a big issue I had was somebody could accrue $700,000 after earning after four questions and basically cherry picking the four questions they chose. They could pick the four easiest questions they know. Meanwhile, on Jeopardy, yeah, four questions will get you maybe, if you're lucky, $8,000 most, unless you hit a daily double. So there's a definite inequity in uh, reward versus how much of a challenge it is. But these, and but, there, but, the, but that's the second part of the game, though. See, they, well, after they answer the question, even if they screw up horribly, they must pick a million-dollar dancer. If it's yeah, and, and, and I get that's from the era of, how should I phrase this, mindless choices. Mindless choices. Because deal or no deal, they didn't even ask you 
you said numbers from one to 26, saw what a value is. And then after a certain number of cases, do you want $50,000? Do you want $78,000? Do you want $122,000 for just basically picking numbers? And then they, and they're not going by like letters, they're not like number five or A, or they're actually going by their first name. So I guess that's some dignity. Uh, one of the known million dollar dancers, a couple of come into mind. Uh, for instance, Julianne Ho. Huff. Huffy. You know, Julianne of, of Dancing with the Stars fame and other other business endeavors. And for wrestling fans, Eve Torres of the WWE before she went into wrestling was a million dollar dancer. Do, 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 do. So, so we did get some good out of the show. There is there. There's a lot. Uh, Kara Lee uh, Nodal was also one of them. People don't know who she is, but uh, she, she was also one of the million dollar dancers. She was on How I Met Your Mother for a bit. There's the, it, and once they answer a question, they pick a dancer. They reveal the money by saying those magic words. Money or the mob. And then they open up the <laughs> and then they open up the scrolls. Because they're scrolls. They're not cases. They're not boxes. They have these weird scrolls. And I believe you own a scroll, by the way. <laughs> yes. Um it's very weird. Um about this is about 2007, so it was about 12 years ago after production was long done. Uh on eBay, I found a seller who was selling one authentic deal or no deal case. And a scroll from Show Me the Money. The deal or no deal case was going for some outrageous amount of money, $300, $400, $500, because it was deal or no deal, the hottest thing on TV in 2007. And the scroll just sit, sat there. Nobody bid on it. Nobody wanted it. And then all of a sudden, at the last minute, I'm like, I'll give you the $25 for the scroll. <laughs> so the scroll... It isn't one of the scrolls that was used on the TV show. I'm going to assume it was either for a pilot or some sort of pre-production scroll or maybe for a format that was scrapped because, again, the dollar amounts we mentioned earlier were multiples of 20000 up to 220000 Then the magic jumped to $250,000. Yes. The scroll that I have is $25,000. Whoa. So... Yeah, so it's it's twenty five thousand, and after seeing the episode, uh, an episode of the show, I think it's a totally different scroll, or maybe they polished it up a little bit to make it look nice and shiny on camera, because even the scroll that I've had now for twelve years never quite looked like the same scroll that you saw on TV in terms of quality craftsmanship. Uh, definitely didn't have that luster. Uh, what it did have, the, the scroll itself was the same as you see the dollar values. It was that black background with the silver impact sort font. of rounded impact corner font. rectangle, and the font was the same. It was that uh, impact font, uh, $25,000. So I, yeah, I don't know the entire story of it, but it might be you know, something that was, again, you, uh, it, it wasn't something that would have been used like in an office run. This thing was like welded together. So somebody put this together for a purpose for, again, either a run through of the show, pre-production, original format, pilot, what have you. But I got to guess. I actually do have a hunch now. Okay. It was probably when they were creating the show, they had an idea for one of those play at home games like at NBC, you know, the call the number, text which one you think has the $25,000. Now that's an idea I never thought of. 
because I mean they still do that nowadays with you know you can win five thousand dollars if you pick the right case. I and that was actually one of the big things that deal or no deal, you know the ten thousand dollars and then oh it's a hundred thousand fifty thousand. That's actually a and and the thing is given that it's from the same people as Deal or No Deal, uh, Dick uh, Dick Van Rijk, I believe, like you said. Yes, and in the mall uh, productions. Yeah, in the mall productions. I wouldn't be surprised if they were going to do something like that because if you look at Endemol shows from back then, uh, Deal or No Deal, One versus a Hundred, Identity had that one. Identity, all those games had that ten thousand dollar interactive game. That's actually a really good call, and I never thought of that. Uh, so when they pick a case and they get the scroll and the value amount, then there's the jeopardy aspect. If they are right, the money goes up. But if they're wrong, the money goes down. But if it's the killer card and they are wrong, the game could end in a second. Because they got the question wrong and it's the killer card, they have a sudden death question. No chances to switch. It's all or nothing. If they are right, they stay alive in the game. But if they're wrong, they lose all the money they've made up to that point and leave with nothing. While the super millionaire background theme plays. They use a lot of repackaged things, like the right or wrong is later used in Don't Forget the Lyrics, like that noise. Um, but it, but if they are right on a killer card, it's still considered a correct answer. They just don't get any money. You need like a flowchart to follow the directions of the killer card. If right, they get to keep playing and it's considered a right answer. If wrong, they have to do a sudden death question where if they're right on that one, they get to keep playing. But if they're wrong on that question, they lose everything and keep playing. It's kind of, it's complicated. I just got dizzy based on your description there. Oh no no no! We have to add more convoluted things. They so have to get six correct answers before getting six questions wrong. But if they get six wrong, that's still considered a win if they have any money left over. <laughs> oh my gosh! And remember, it's six wrong answers. But essentially, you know, with, with three questions, the choice of three questions every time. Basically, get six out of eighteen questions wrong, and you're out of the game. I did the math, by the way, because I because I'm not saying I know math as much as you, do, but if you got the first question right, and that's the quarter million dollars, and then for every incorrect answer thereafter, you just pick the incorrect answer there and thereafter, twenty thousand, forty thousand, sixty thousand, you would lose three. You would lose three hundred twenty thousand dollars. That's at the bare minimum. If you get all six questions wrong. So you need to make sure you get at least $320,000 in the front game before you can even win anything if you get six wrong. They did not do the math correctly because they are going for huge six figures in this. Not like 100000 not even quarter million. They're going for like 400000 600000 and And that breaks budgets. And as much as I love seeing people win millions of dollars, no, get me wrong, I am one that loves breaking budgets. They did not play test the game well enough to understand that no, the game is very breakable in this regard. It's it, it's a very very badly broken game, um, in, in many ways. I mean, oh, it's good my. in theory. I, I mean, it sounds almost like a show that ABC conjured up in the middle of the night. Maybe somebody had a dream about it. They said, "Okay, we need to have our deal or no deal type of show." They, they did have set for life, like you mentioned, which was an absolute dog. But, uh, okay, so let's also take advantage of, oh, we've got uh, Dancing with the Stars. People like dancing. Let's put on, you know, half-naked dancing girls to, uh, to be the quote-unquote briefcase models in this case. 
Yesenia <laughs> was also on the show. I should bring this up as a game show fan. Yesenia Adam uh, was one of the bingo callers on National Bingo Night also this yeah, year. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, another show from uh, back in the late 2000s with sort of had a very short shelf life they wanted a luck-based game show because everyone wanted a luck-based game show because deal or no deal was so huge and show me the money was trying to be like no this is a trivia show this is a trivia show and a a luck-based game show both together you know it's funny cbs didn't buy into any of this they just did prices right primetime million dollar specials i believe at the time that was their counter yeah but but, i mean if you you look at around that time I mean, I don't. I can't think of any shows Power like that 10. that were pitched to, to to CBS. Like Power of Ten is close. Power of Ten isn't just stank ass luck. Excuse my my language. There's actually some basis to it because of the surveys. I mean, the luck part comes in on the the risk for one million to ten million. You know, you have a one in eleven chance at getting the percentage right on the nose. Do you want to take that coin flip? It's not even a coin flip because that's fifty fifty. This is well, eleven. It's a ten sided coin. Just play with me here. Okay. Or eleven sided coin. It's it's one of those weird coins from like the the, the Pacific. Uh, yeah, but but the the point is, it's just it's stinky luck there. But they didn't have their own show where okay, we've got a bunch of beautiful girls. They're holding. Let's even do this. Like Babushka, do you? I'm sure you remember Babushka oh, on ITV. Yes, I. That was one of the first shows I watched when I got a VPN uh, with Ryland, and I love Ryland. He's one of my favorite and, British hosts. And, and that was just luck. You know, d- does your Babushka doll have five hundred dollars, thousand or two thousand or pounds? I should say, since it was British. But the thing is, CBS never bought into that for whatever reason, and. I don't even think Fox did amazingly because Fox would jump over one of those formats immediately if they could find a copycat high greed shortly after Millionaire hey, Success. Hey, hey, but we still like Bowden and we still like Dick Clark. We love. How can we not love Bob Bowden and, and Dick Clark? But the thing is, it, it was very coincidental how fast greed got on the air uh, after Millionaire Success. And the funny thing is, the day before greed got picked up, I saw Dick Clark. He was doing an event in Cleveland, and I tried getting him to, to to autograph a photo. He blew me off, sadly. But I wonder if he was in a rush because he had to go to Los Angeles to take care of this greed stuff. Maybe, or or uh, then also then there was a uh, Wonderwall, the the winning lines game. Winning well, lines, winning line, yeah. It, it, this was about I'd say three months before uh, winning lines. Uh, but still, he left in a hurry with his entourage and bodyguards and all that. And and there's poor old me holding this photo of Dick Clark, sadly making my way back to work. And then some guy with like a car just drives over a puddle and it sprays you. Yeah, and then and then my puppy dog got run over later. Wasn't it? <laughs> Ripping open old wounds. I'm sorry. I hate that. But the million. So the, show me the money. Is basically luck based because it's one question and you're already at a quarter million dollars. If you're right, you win the money. You're wrong, you lose the money. You get six right or six wrong. Doesn't matter. You win the money. If you get the killer card, is the only time there's actually any jeopardy at risk, or if there's mathematically impossible for you to continue if you are in the red that bad. And if I remember, and again, these are going on semi fuzzy 13 year old memories at this point, I believe there was only one contestant who crapped out. Yeah. 
because they got six wrong and their money was in the negative hundreds of thousands or whatever. But the thing is, it, it, it seemed like everybody got money, whether you're talking about $60,000 or a million and $60,000. A lot of people sort of got really, uh, got really rich at the, really at the right time, as long as their episode aired. And then there's apparently a Vietnamese version too. And this is the shocker one. It's been going for a hundred episodes. It started from 2008 to early 2010. And, and there was a kid's version of that. The rules were simple, but there were 12 dancers in two rounds. Four plus, four minus. Uh, one slip uh, had zero, two 50,000, three 75,000, three 100,000. And one each of 150, 250, and half a million. In round two, there were multipliers and dividers. Uh, those slips this, have changed this, the value. The two slips that were chosen multiplied to score. The contestant can win as much as 108 million during the whole game. This was in Vietnamese or in Vietnam, Vietnamese. Yes. The biggest I'm, one ever was 105 million 300 thousand. I believe there, theirs is the dong, right, Vietnam? Yeah, and that's actually what I was going to get to. Is God forbid? I hope they didn't call me call the show. Show me the dong. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Do 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 do. Yeah, do more clapping. Yeah. We got to do, do the clap. We got to do the dance. We have to dance and clap because every question, whether it was right or wrong, well, let's dance, million dollar dancers. Do 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 do. <laughs> there was one uh, part where it was like the most awkward thing where it was like what where shatner did the what would you do if you won the won a million dollars oh i have to retire and my kids will go through college and my husband is with an illness all right ladies let's go go do 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 one thing i just looked up since you said the top prize was and the Vietnamese version was 108 million dongs. Yeah. Do you know how much that equates to American dollars? I'm going to say about $50,000 American. Uh, lop off a zero, less than that. Five, under 5,000. Wow. <laughs> uh, accor according to what I see currently, about $4,650. Wow. Uh, so, like... Appar apparently, they're very small dongs. Oh, never mind. No, that's... Hey, hey, hey now, hey. No. So, the 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 impact font's okay. The Million Dollar Dancers, sure, you can like it or hate it. I mean, they're hot babes. It's it basically the eye candy for the show, because if it's not that, it's William Shatner being the Priceline negotiator as a game show host. Now, one thing I mentioned to Jordan earlier, and I don't know if by design or just coincidence... Deal or No Deal had 26 models. Yes. And Show Me the Money had 13. Uh-huh. 13 is half of 23. Was that by design? Half of 26. I, I mean, it could be by design half of 26. Um, well, six, I, I just find it more than coincidental because, I mean, 26 pretty random number to choose for a game like that. And then 13. I mean, you, you might expect some sort of even number like 12 or, or maybe 15 or something that just sounds better uh, in your mind uh, uh, a divisible gonna... <laughs> number but instead you're doing 13 which is a prime number and 13 is considered unlucky i think that's what we didn't going even for. think about that part they're going for the luck base factor 13 is a luck number or an unlucky number depending on who you ask so maybe that's why but i was going to bring that up because it the the, the set design it is supposed to look like a dance club so there's a lot of red velvet curtains a, a disco dance floor 
a weird podium table that has no bias to the game. There's no lock-in feature. There's no reason for that to be there. There is a visual video screen next to the audience for the audience to see that's a projector, but it's very poorly projected based on probably the lighting kit that they have. So it's almost barely impossible to see the questions or the scoreboard. And an audience that is in one wrong corner of the screen when they should be on the on the scoreboard podium of the screen. And then there is this weird shady velvet curtain in the back. And then there's a weird shady curtain in the front. And then there is a, almost like a Hollywood squares, like three late, like a three story tower of pole dancers. Well, and this is another thing that you touched on earlier. When you, uh, the, the contestants in front of the screen, obviously they won't be able to see the, uh, the question unless they look at a monitor or something, but also, and you, uh, like I said, you noticed this. There were a bunch of empty seats in the front row of that section. Yeah, no, no, that's a common thing in game shows, is you know seating arrangements. You usually but, but, get yeah, but, but a that, lot of game shows. But but that's not a look that any producer would want. They don't want empty seats there. But if you what look I've... on the flip side of it, the flip side of the screen where the million dollar dancers are on to the left, that was full on booked, and there's no oh. monitors there. There's nothing in that corner of the screen. Shouldn't you right. have switched the seating arrangement so the place that gets the most visual, which is aside from the pick the dancer, gets the most audience involvement? And, and that's actually what I was going to mention was a show contemporary to that time, one versus a hundred. The way they did that screen is perfect. There was no audience surrounding the screen. It was basically uh, Bob Saget and the contestant looking at the screen and the hundred were at such an angle where they could see the, the screen as well. Uh, that was one problem that we actually had with Deal or No Deal is given it's a essentially theater in the round type of setup, the scoreboard is on one side and I happen to be sitting on that side right near the scoreboard. I'd have to turn my neck every you know couple of cases to see what the status is. But that, on the flip side, though, you do get a good visual of the banker offer, though. Oh, yes. Oh, you. yeah, my view of the banker was great. Uh, I mean, I was seated, I think, three seats away from the, the runway where the models come down. Yeah, like it is. A uh, good they were great seats, but also my back was facing the models. So, again, you want to see what's happening, uh, what the model's opening, you have to turn your back uh, or turn you your get head. A good and, you, and you can look to your left and see the, the couch where the, where the supporters are, the support couch. Yeah, and also there were enough monitors where you attention. What fun is it seeing it on the monitors when the action is literally yeah, 12 like, feet behind you, but you need to wrench your neck 180 degrees. But I mean, like, at least you can see, like, visually the contestants sweating out the deal. So that's, I mean, I, I'm not saying it's a bad design package because I think Deal or No Deal does have, like, there's a few hiccups I have with it. I think they improved a whole lot in the CNBC run in terms of audience placement on the on these things there's a lot of raised platforms and i think there is like a like a visual screen in the background where if you were sitting where you are behind it there is like a they just put a, a little projector screen that can show the contestant and the status of the scoreboard because how we have yeah, like play with the scoreboard too right yeah they, they didn't have that when uh, i went 13 years ago you had to rely again either by turning your head or they did have monitors but mind you their monitors 20, 30 feet up in the air, and yeah, I, I don't even remember them being that big at the time. Oh, they're not. They're like usually like about 10 feet. They're like very, very tiny. Uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, usually when a game show like records something, you know, it's, there's a camera. 
So what a lot of people in the audience, if it's like a roundtable like a millionaire or a deal or no deal in some cases, is behind the camera crew, there's a little tiny visual monitor that shows the outgoing feed of the game show, which is almost likely of what's going to be in the real game. Right. Uh, um, yeah. With what's going to be shown before all the editing and all the fun stuff. All the graphic packages and the sound effects and all that. Uh, well, that's actually something they don't need to worry about on Millionaire, the current Millionaire, because the way they have the seating in uh, the studio in Vegas, you have a pretty good uh, view of the, the game board from almost any seat. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I was lucky in the fact that I was pretty much right behind or uh, 100 uh, across the way from the board. So I was behind the contestant uh, where they would stand. It was easy to see questions that way, obviously. But I, I, again, I, I think depending on, well, technology makes a difference. The but way they, they also fix the blocking on that show. Right. I mean, there's a bunch of different factors, the way they see the contestants, like you said. But it's just I didn't see that when I went to million or to millionaire deal. to deal or no deal 13 years ago. I don't want to say maybe because it was a new technology or because we technology at the time, but it, it just wasn't evident there compared to maybe what we have nowadays. Where I was going at with this is that projector screen is definitely the same projector. They probably used for show me the money. And that's why it's like, if you can barely see it neither could the contestants most likely. So they had to hear Shatner go, what Clark Davis album Features, <laughs> yeah, or, or, or obviously on cue cards, something like. That. Yeah, um, and because it's thirteen, and this is something I have to jo- bring up as the the funniest thing on this is because it's three stories. It's a like Hollywood Squares. It's two mini Hollywood Squares and a big projector screen that has a scoreboard, which is the only thing they can visually see. Which is tell me that was one of the early LED boards because that LED board was also similar to Deal. Right. Uh, so it's three stories. So it's each floor has two dancers and a scroll in a little mini LED screen that shows the value. So it's two, 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 which is six. And then the other side is another two, 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 six, but it's 13 dancers. So one poor dancer has to be on like the fourth story standing out in the, like the top floor, almost looking like a hopeless person, no dancing, no like pole, just with the scroll. And you know they had to get on somebody's OCD. Why isn't it 14 so we could have like one, two, yeah. one, two, two, two? It, 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 that's why I said 13 isn't a friendly number in that regard because you can't split it up evenly. It's a prime number. Yeah, If they went to 12 or 15 where you had, say, three different tiers of five dancers, yeah, there's different ways of arranging it, but it's just that 13th, it, it's like an anomaly. It's just... It just doesn't sit well for some reason. Again, OCD reasons, mathematically heavy. And uh, so, so the it, it's it's confusing why there. I mean, I'm okay with 13. If you're going for a game mechanic, 13, sure, maybe if it makes sense. If you're doing a format that requires 13, this doesn't seem like it needs 13. It seems like it needed some like it needs less elements or more elements. But the way they did. It, it was horribly busted. Like they should have had like a either like a golden balls like bank where all the values are random before the game, and there's right. like hundreds of different coordinations. So one could be worth two thousand, one could be worth fourteen thousand, one could be worth four hundred thousand. Who knows? Well, I, I think ABC just wanted to give away as much money as possible so they could be the history maker. Yeah. Or maybe they're just again trying to promote a show that had 
as little knowledge as possible, but had as much of a return on investment as possible. Well, I mean, when the show ends, when when you're a contestant gets six right or six wrong, uh, and they have to go to like the end credits, like thank you for watching. The Shatner's Shatner's sign off is something worth mentioning because you know a lot of game shows these days is we'll see you next time for one versus one hundred. Or, you know, help control the pet population. If you're Howie Mandel, you do that salute thing that becomes like a hand wave and then like a point. For William Shatner, he does like this weird jig. Like he's trying to walk. And then he's incur- and his sign-off phrase is, And I hope you watch Boston Legal Wednesday nights at 8 on ABC. <laughs> That's his sign-off phrase. <laughs> well, 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 the thing is, I, I mean, I see that in two ways. I see that as corporate shill uh you know he's doing an abc show so he might as well promote the heck out of his abc show but also the other thing that comes to mind is if you ever have seen uh american bandstand from the late 70s dick clark did the exact same thing okay that's all the time there is for bandstand this week don't forget to watch me on the pyramid this week or on twenty thousand dollar pyramid he'd do that so there is a precedent albeit you know, American Bandstand's not a game show, but again, and also it's ABC, which is another interesting coincidence. But, but it, it's been salute. done. It, it's been done. You know, Two-finger salute. So long. As I, as, as I said, Shatner is a, a caricature of himself and should not be taken seriously. I mean, the spotlights are good. The, I mean, the, I can't say like the dancers aren't talented. They're good dancers. I mean, the, the they're very good looking. They're very uh, personable. They don't really have. The thing is, though, considering modern day deal or no deal, they give the models like a microphone and they can talk and they're like actually like giving advice to these contestants. These contestants are like the, the models on on old deal or no deal and on and on uh, show me the money. They're like mute. They don't talk. Models don't talk. They're just supposed to pull the scroll, and that's it. And that's the way it was kind of on Price is Right until Drew got there. Because, I mean, if you heard any of the models talking, you know, sometimes it would be a time killer after the fourth pricing game before the, the, the second half of the show. Bob would get Holly and Diane, Diane uh, and Janice. and 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 just a birthday today. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they they just like, you know, just kill time for 15, 20 seconds, you know, gathering the the, the models around and talking. But now Drew actually interacts with them, I think, to the point where I'm sure they're wearing uh, lavalier mics or something when they're modeling. And Drew does some little, you know, one liner, some joke about, you know, somebody being pregnant or... Or James O'Halloran. Yeah, James. Oh, boy, doesn't he look good? You know, it's kind of funny to think he had a dozen Twinkies before the show. Yeah, something something to to start the game. Yeah, it's fun. And then he's like, how are you, Drew? Hi, everybody. And you're like, oh, hey, James. Like, You you see, and and then I I look back at the opposite, which actually you mentioned deal or no deal, but I'm at it from the perspective of SNL parodies. 10 11 years ago where you know how he would go to the mo- uh, to the model and say hey you know whatever your name is how you doing and it was played by Kristen Wiig the model was played by Kristen Wiig yes. and she'd be like mouthing i don't know what you're talking about and she's yeah it was very funny but that, that that's sort of what you're talking about there is no actual was no actual conversation between the host and the models unless it's like okay you better have the penny in there because 
if you've got the million or $750,000, the least Clem here is going to walk out with, or the most Clem is going to walk out with, is 50 bucks. So don't show us the million or the $750,000 or whatever. Yeah, and then, but now with the modern CNBC version, it's kind of like, oh, my mom is a teacher. I understand. I can relate to this. Or, oh, I'm from New York. You're from New York. New York spirit. It's like things like that I love a lot in, in Deal or No Deal C- CNBC version. Show I, I like money. it. You don't even have Well, well I, I like it too, but the, the, the one thing that I think the reason they might do it, notice on the Deal or No Deal version, uh, the, the CNBC version, say, all the models when they're shown, what do they show? Hashtag, not hashtags, Twitter handles, Instagram handles. I mean, that almost looks like a promotional tool more than anything else to me. And maybe they're talking with the models to show, no, they're not conceited Instagram models who are looking for yeah. you know, a, a million hits. They they're actually real the people next, who uh, have real emotions. Yeah. They want to be the next and, princess. And actually, <laughs> right, right. So it, it might have to do with that too. They don't want to look like you know a uh, stubborn uptight models who are like, oh, well, uh, uh, yeah, I won't get out of bed unless I make $10,000, as as uh, uh, Linda Evangelista used to say. I won't get out of bed unless I, I can make $10,000. No, these are real girls who are 19, 20, 21, 22 years old. Some are 40. Sh- some are in their 40s. Like, uh, the oh, that, that, yeah, there's one or two from the old show. You're absolutely right. Like, they have a nice, diverse cast of models, too, and it's... It's a very diverse cast, yes. And then for for show me the money, there is still a diverse cast, but once again, they don't talk. If anything, you might hear a "Here I go," right? Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like, oh no, it's the killer card. And then they give that little pouty frown. Oh, oh, you know what? <laughs> oh, you look, look, you made Julian cry. We gotta cheer Julian up, and I can only think of one thing we can do. Dance party! Exactly! You made Julianne sad. We're going to have to dance. <laughs> like that's, that's mostly show me the money. All right. And, and I can see everybody clamping along except for Julianne. But I just had the killer card. Why are you clapping? <laughs> Guys, we're ruining someone's day. She's gonna go home penniless. It's okay. She figured out that it was the inventor of twerking was Miley Cyrus. It's all good. Come down here, Evelyn. I feel bad for you. Here's twenty dollars to take its cab back to LAX. <laughs> so I, I mean, now we gotta get to the last part of of the thing. Should the show be rebooted? Should the show be revived? If so, how? I do like the game in theory. I think too much money was handed uh, out. Uh, again, I think that may be on ABC. Because, you know, yeah. let's have a million dollar winner before Deal or No Deal has a million dollar to have a title to ourselves. Um, I, I think the whole three question thing is ridiculous. Because I'm sorry, if you actually gave a contestant on another show like Jeopardy or whatever a choice of three questions, mm-hmm. they're going to be right 90% of the time as well. So I, 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 it's not a bad show. I enjoyed it because of the kitsch factor. It's so kitschy with Shatner being the ham that he is with all the dancing and the music and the clapping and, and the absurd amount of money given away. Would it survive or could it happen again? I really don't think so. 
they're just, as you said earlier, there needs to be more planning and thinking out what needs to be done. It, it seems like a half-baked idea. Maybe if there was some more structure to it, maybe if the money was, uh, there's less of it available. Maybe if, you know, mm -hmm. you didn't have like half a format, it was actually, you know, a full format. Maybe if the killer card wasn't something that deserved 25 minutes of explanation with yeah. a flow chart, that, that, that might help the game, but it, 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 I, I really think it was, and, and this is a term you used earlier, it was a character-driven game. Not just the contestants or the models for a, a, a lesser part. Yeah. But the character that was driving it was William Shatner himself. So... Here's how I would retool the show, because I like to do this. This is something everyone knows is my favorite segment of the show. So the I've revived the rules. Are you ready? It's the all it's it's um Shatner, the all new show me the money. <laughs> Shatner the all new show me the money. Okay. <laughs> so so the new format is it's no longer six right or six wrong, you win after those. It's after seven questions, period. That's it. Seven questions. There's still thirteen million dollar dancers, but this time around the, vi the scoring is a little different. Ten of them have money, ranging from the 20000 to the 200000 in increments of 20000 similar to what the show is. So there's no more 220, 240, or, uh, sorry, 220 or 250. Instead, okay. those two are replaced with the killer cards, like in the main game. The game is simple. The money scroll is selected before the question is read. So, for instance, what dime, dot, 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 pick a scroll, pick a million-dollar dancer, and let them show you the money. If it's, if it's cash, that's what you're playing for, for that question. If it's a killer card, well, it's played like a normal, it's played like a normal credit, uh, killer card where one question is, is for all the marbles. If you get the question right, you stay alive. If you get it wrong, you're out. No more if it's wrong, if it's right. No, it's, you pick the killer card. We're playing a killer card round. If you get, so for instance, say you picked uh, 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 Eve Taurus. And Eve had $20,000 because that's the lowest amount. So now you have your A, B, and C, similar to show me the money. Pick one, A, B, or C. The question's worth $20,000. But now there's some jeopardy. If you decide to switch and go for B or C, it's now worth $10,000. You've lost half your money. But you don't risk losing it higher or lower. Then if you want to go for the third and final time, it's halved once again, making it $5,000. Meaning you can switch on every question, but your amount will be ranging from 5000 to 50000 And if those seven questions, same rules apply. You get it right, the money goes up. You get it wrong, the money goes down. If it's a killer card, you're wrong, you're out of the game. If you're right, you're still in the game. Uh, the only rule I had is after all seven questions are asked, if you, have, you get a bonus of $50,000 for every killer card still alive, meaning if you keep all three, you have $150,000, because uh, if you did the math correctly, you're still a little under a million. So if you play the game perfectly, you get up a million. And this can also save you money in terms of if you're in the red. Say in your final question, you go down to negative 20,000. Well, you might be down to negative 20,000, but you didn't reveal one killer card or two killer cards. And so now you're at 80,000 or you're at 30,000. Because the idea is supposed to be not to overthrow the budget. So you got to get rid of the top shelf. And you got to come up with a penalty for switching on a question. And you got to add some jeopardy in the form of the killer card because that's the only time there's jeopardy in the game. I like some of your ideas. Um, I, I think the idea of if oh, you don't make like them all talk 
and changed it so they're not on poles and one's standing like four stories high scared shitless like... <laughs> and, and there's no support railing so if she gets dizzy and bends over yeah three stories now <laughs> i would put them I, in I, the I, audience i would just have the like layout to each pole like each i hate to say pole but there's like a little little table in this part of the audience this on this part of the audience so it's all 13 and they're part of the crowd so now everyone's part of the dance party you have that nightclub feel there's the tables everyone's having a good time it's supposed to be a dance show if you're going for the dance format of it you do that otherwise you overhaul it and you just make it so it's like a bank why do in my mind when you said what you just did about putting them in the audience the first thing that came to mind is now you've mixed show me the money with uh, comedy central's old the man show yes no <laughs> like you know how the, the juggies are like standing in the on the pole in the audience crowd? yes yeah th that's exactly what came to mind oh my god yeah you do you do that you have it like so there's 13 of them and then there's like a little screen that says their name and they all have their scrolls still but that's not pole dancing. You know, it's actually like a floor. I, I get it. I just don't know if that would fly nowadays. Oh, we're not. Oh, this is just going to be. Well, you can also mix the, the genders. You can have male and female dancers. So that way, if it's 13, follow me on this one. Hey, oh, hey, no. how's it going? Oh, no. You have 12 don't. of them. They're male, female. And then the third did dances with the host. That one odd one out dances with the host. <laughs> You you might give Shatner a heart attack if that happens. Oh, then we'll get rid of uh, William Shatner. Then we'll get uh, Bruno. We'll get Bruno. <laughs> Bruno from Dancing with the Stars. He'll host it. Oh, jeez. Well, what I was going to say is I like your idea. Uh, I I think an excellent idea is what you said about if you don't like question one, you can see question two. But the penalty is you're now playing for half the money. Yes. I think that is brilliant. Uh, that I would actually like to have seen that incorporated in show me the money because like I said, uh, three questions and you could win half a million dollars regardless of the question. There's no real, there's nothing uh, being put at risk. But the thing is, if you said, well, you can answer this question for $200,000 or see a replacement question for a hundred thousand or a hundred thousand, then 50,000. There is some risk there because you know, uh, do you know, are you sure about that for $200,000 or are you going to take the unknown for half that money? It, money it, it's, wrong, I, I really like money. that. And you still lose the money if you go for it. So are you sure you want to take the risk? You'll lose 200000 if you're wrong. You'll lose and, and the, I'm sorry. And then if the potential's at 100000 well, maybe you want to go for it. But if, once it's at fifty, there's no going back. Right. And the other thing I liked, and you did do the math perfectly, in the base game, without giving fifty thousand dollars for each killer avoided, you can earn up to eight. Or I'm sorry, nine hundred eighty thousand dollars. If you get two hundred, one eighty, one sixty, one forty, one twenty, one hundred and eighty, that does add up to nine hundred eighty thousand. So you're not at the million yet, but if you add in any amount of killer cards, which obviously, if you're at nine hundred eighty thousand, you should have three killer cards left. That would put you, based on your version at 1.13 million dollars which is great and if the they, problem is is if you get a single killer card i think your million is out of the water because well no oh, i yeah. think you'd still get the million because you could get 200 180 160 120 140 120 100 that would be nine hundred thousand. Two killer cards left would be a million but that's also the risk because now it's a because now there's your luck based thing is you have to avoid the killer cards at all costs right 
So yeah, there's your I, luck I, base. That's the, the base if you want to do the luck base. It's avoid the killer cards at all costs because that's $150,000 potentially if you survive seven questions. And, and originally I was going to make it half, so it's like 100000 50000 75 But I realized, no, that's not going to inflate it to a million. So, right. So we have to make sure it's like 50000 like a base fifty grand. And also it has to give something for in case because it's now only uh, 10 of them have, have actual money amounts. And the killer cards, they can happen once, twice, or all three times in the game. Well, that's $0 in your bank. It's just staying alive in the game. We're at right. question two now. Oh, the second killer card. We're in the third. The third killer card is gone. You survived all three killer cards, so it's cash from here on out. You have four questions. Go for it. Right. Yeah, I, I, that actually is a, a much more interesting version of the game. And plus, plus now it's rounded because Deal or No Deal does it by rounds. Six, five, four, three, right. two, one, one, one. So now if it's, well, round one, it's question one. Pick a number. All right. Then you can, if you're going by, if you're the whole goal, if you're trying to do deal or no deal, but with trivia and do character creation with the contestants, now that you know you have seven uh, questions to get through, unless they hit a killer card and get it wrong, you can do some some things. You can do the, hey, what would you do? Oh, you are a football guy. Well, throw a football. Something. Right. Also, I think it brings, it makes seven it puts more pressure on the player. Yeah, you know, this this is for all the money. It, it it's more of a pressure situation than the graphic of you need one more right answer or six incorrect answers to end the game. That's ridiculous. I mean that that's a joke. You it, it is them saying, okay, you either need to get one right or six wrong. Okay, th- there's not really much pressure there. And then even at one question uh, right or five wrong, one or four wrong, one or three wrong. Okay, maybe at one or two questions wrong, the game is over. There's a little bit of pressure, but the thing is, if if when they say you know you, the game ends after one more correct answer or six more wrong answers, that's basically telling you you only need to get one of the next six questions right if you want to win the money. Yeah, that, that ruins. There, the there's rest. pressure built in though when you say this is the final question. Lower the house lights. You know, uh, use the Vera lights like they did on Millionaire. Focus on uh, the, the contestant and the host. We're in round there, seven. You so far after the six questions, you are now at three hundred twenty thousand dollars. This is the last question. If it's the killer card, it's an all or nothing situation. If it's two hundred thousand, you have a risk of going to half a million dollars. But no matter what, you'll be getting one hundred twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, so, I mean th- that works so much better. And that and it's. It, because then you have a nice flip of it. And plus, but maybe if you want to, you can play it safe and switch it and switch it. But then you might be playing for only $50,000. Right. So you'll get some strategy on that, too. Uh, that, those are some great ideas. I mean, I, I don't think the show will come back in our oh, lifetime. No, no, not at all. <laughs> no, no, there's no chance it's ever coming back. But the thing is, the way that you sort of uh, you gave the idea of risk in terms of saying play this question or your you can play the next question but the stakes are halved that's brilliant especially given the numbers 20 uh, multiples of 20,000 because multiples of 20,000 divide very nicely evenly and then even when they're halved they still divide evenly from 20 to 10 to 5 or 40 to 20 to 10 and it yeah, 140 down to 70 down to 35 it's it, 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 there's a, a simple harmony there which works out really well 
this is this is the kind of thing that my mind is, and this is why no one ticks my calls when I say. <laughs> but but um, yeah, they're not, they're, it's not coming back and speculating yeah. and uh, and say what if what if we did it this way. All right. Uh, before we get going here, uh, Mike, uh, we have a lightning round. You're a trivia okay. guy. I have five questions. Reach when you get right, you get a plug. Five plugs, six seconds. Oh, this is going to be embarrassing. You sure? You, you want to? You don't have to play this. I'll play it, but the thing is, I'm going to look like a, a a bum if I can't get at least, let's say, three or four right. But we'll see. All right. Well, let's do it. Let's put sixty seconds on the clock. Ding. Why is it actually called- no? For, I'm sorry. For our show, it shouldn't be ding. It should be. <laughs> do, do, do. There oh, you well, go. The end. At the end. Um, clock on. So here's six seconds on the clock. Why is it called the killer card? Because it kills your bank if you miss, if you lose. Favorite Star Trek captain? I don't like science fiction. Name a famous dance. Besides the dance on Show Me the Money, uh, the, the, what is, wait, actually, nowadays it, it would be the, the flaw, but I'll, I'll go the, with the Macarena. The flaw, your floss dance, floss dance, fine. Oh, come Macarena. What is Julian Huff doing right now? Uh, counting her money she made off of Dancing with the Stars. Boston Legal or The Practice? Judge Judy. You did it. You got five. <laughs> one. I got one? No, you won. You have one. Oh, All five. Yay. Five for five. <laughs> yeah, like you said, for Star Trek or Star Wars, none of the above. <laughs> so let's hope no one's listening to this so then they could ruin the, your trivia mind and ask questions about science fiction shows. And I'm sorry I just revealed one of my trivia we- Science fiction, but it is what it is. Okay, all you need to know, Lin-Manuel Miranda and J.J. Abrams composed a song called Jabba Flow on Star Wars The Force Awakens. And the song Jabba Flow was inspired by the rap artist Shaggy. There you go. Gave you a little piece Oh my, the, the the rapper Shaggy, that's a name I haven't heard in 20 years. Yeah, because the, the lyrics the he put in the bass was basically, it wasn't me. You know, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. Right. So imagine okay. that, but with some weird science fiction language. And with, with Lin-Manuel Hutt, apparently. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you you learn something plugs. on these podcasts. Interesting. You want five free plugs. What do you want to promote? <laughs> okay, let's see. First and foremost, sometime in the next month or so, uh, I am planning on starting my own podcast. Uh, it is a trivia game show podcast. Uh, I want to differentiate that from uh, what uh, Jordan does here. It's not a podcast about game shows. It's actually a podcast in a trivia slash game show format. Uh, not unlike some of the other ones out there, like uh, Complete the List. Uh, the tentative title of it for now is called Switch It Up. Uh, I ran it by Jordan earlier, and based on his reaction, he really liked the idea. I'm a big uh, fan of trivia he, projects. I mean, you did it. Earlier uh, guest, Maddie Smith, does it on Twitch called Are You the Knowledge Lord? So, yeah. It, it, really- it, it, it's, a, it, it's a very interesting concept. Um, uh, writing it has been very, very challenging and very fun at the same time. Uh, like I said, I hope to do a pilot for that within the next preferably week or two. Unfortunately, real life gets in the way. Yeah, Easter, uh, birthdays. Uh, taxes are doing about uh, a week or so, but um, I'd like to get that started sometime in the month of April, and I'd like that to be a weekly podcast. And 
but but uh, I, I'm going to have a presence up on at least Facebook sometime in the near future. Uh, again, it's going to be called Switch It Up. Tentatively um, titled Switch It Up. Tentatively, well, it's probably going to be called that based on everything that I've done. But, uh, that should be a very fun endeavor. Steal, steal uh, the twisters. <laughs> um, plug two. What do I want to plug? Well, obviously, Millionaire. Um, like I said, right now, I'm in the pool. Um, I uh, auditioned back in August of uh, last year. I went to go see a taping. Uh, they That was about three weeks before the taping season ended, so I'm in the pool for 2019-2020. Fingers crossed it comes back or something happens with the, the 20th anniversary this year. Uh, hopefully sometime between uh, May and July, I get a phone call and uh, I'll be in Vegas, hopefully, uh, for that show uh, with my dad as the plus one. Again, fingers crossed. So hopefully you guys will see me on Millionaire sometime uh, in the 19, uh, 2019-2020 season. Uh, three plugs left. Give me anything. Don't forget, to t- don't forget to take the Jeopardy test if you haven't already. Again, if you fail at first, don't give up. Because, again, like I said uh, earlier, I took the test in Los Angeles 18 years ago. I got 34 out of 35, and I had the 30. I, I shouldn't have been counting along. But the 35th, which was like on the tip of my tongue, just couldn't get the word right, was acoustics. And I said aesthetics. And I was like hitting myself over the head all the way back uh, to where I was staying because I had the right number of answers. I just that word wouldn't come to me. But also, as I told Jordan, I may have gotten 34 on that test in one of the Jeopardy books 10 years ago or so. They had the exact same test. I retook it without any sort of, you know, knowledge of what answers were correct or not correct. I didn't, I didn't even remember the questions. I just remember seeing that acoustics question and then it came back. Oh, I saw all these questions in 2001. I ended up getting 47 questions, right? So just because you fail at first doesn't mean that, you know, you won't learn it later in life or uh, you won't run across it on the internet or you won't see it mentioned in jeopardy two or three times a year. You know, it's almost like the old line, you know, how do I get to practice, practice, practice. That's just like trivia. It's the same thing. You know, there's a giant world of, of facts out there. You just need to go out and try to retain that knowledge. Play HQ. Play some of these trivia apps. Yeah, you might only win a couple of pennies, but the thing is you're going to get a fact probably that you didn't know, and that's something you never know. That might be a fact that comes up when you're on Jeopardy, uh, you know, in Final Jeopardy or going for $100,000 or $250,000 on Millionaire, and you can go back and say, hey, I saw this on HQ, and I know, you know, what the answer is. So, yeah, uh, keep on practicing the trivia stuff. Uh, three plugs to go, right? Two left. Two? Okay, well, uh, in the month of July, the game show Throwdown is happening. July 27th at the Glendale Hyatt Place. Yes, uh, it's going to be in California this year. I will not participate, unfortunately, uh, just because, uh, again, millionaire and get on expense for you know paying for myself and my father. Uh, but also the the last plug I'm going to do. Uh, but yeah, July 27th, 28th, uh, it'll be streamed like uh, every other year. Um, the one show that I, I I don't think the episode or the the show list has been put out yet. So I'm not going to say what I did, but I'm very proud of the show that 
I sort of commandeered the writing for, and it's a show everybody knows. It's a show that we haven't done before. Um, and I, I'm very proud that it got the uh, seal of approval from uh, from not just Adam and Travis and Tim and all them and and everybody else. There's some other names I could mention, but I won't just because it's it's a little bit of a hush hush topic right now. Jordan Haas. He said, "You know, I told you it had to be a secret." But uh, it's going to be an amazing event. And uh, please, yes, donate to the appropriate charities. Uh, it all goes to the kids. And we're glad to have been helping out for the last, I believe we're on our seventh year doing this. And then the last plug, the final plug. Jordan mentioned Ticona uh, throughout the uh, different parts of this uh, podcast. Ticona is still around, but it's not going to be in Vegas this year. That's why the, the game show throwdown is being done in Glendale. Instead, this year, there's going to be something called the Trivia Nationals, and it is in the second week of August. Let me get a date for us. Um, August 9th, 10th, 11th. And it's going to be in Vegas. I don't know if it's going to be at the Tropicana, um, but... Uh, the Trivia Nationals is basically taking the place of Ticona. There's going to be similar events. The throwdown isn't going to be there as the throwdown proper, the 25-hour the event. It's going to be more like a the, the Friday event, the Friday pyramid, 10 to 12 hours event, of events on Saturday, and then two hours Sunday. So it, it's going to be like Throwdown Junior, as I've, I've been calling it. It's the trivia but, game you played all your life, but never quite like this. Yes. Now, I don't think that's actually going to be there, but um, no. again, I, I don't want to spoil anything because I don't think anything's been publicly Look, released at this point. if you need someone to host, show me the money. You have my details. I'll gladly put on the vest. And and, and, and I can clap. Yeah. Um, but uh, all, it, it sounds like T-Kona's been with Quiz Bowl and Learned League and uh, and trash and the other trivia events that uh, have happened over the years, uh, just basically run by a different uh, person. Uh, and again, that's second week of August in Vegas. I don't know the exact location, but I know there's a Facebook group out there uh, called Trivia Nationals, and they might have a webpage. It might be trivianationals.com, but uh, th that's the event in lieu of Ticona this year. And Mike Klaus, thanks for stopping by. Congratulations. This was so much fun. I'm so glad that I was uh, able to keep up the good work, Jordan. So, yeah, the elephant in the room is that Millionaire did get canceled during the time of this recording. But also the first episode of Switch It Up did also come out as well. And please give that a listen. It's a very clever quiz show. So, unfortunately, Mike will not be a contestant on Millionaire, but there are plenty of other game shows announced since this interview took place, and who is to say the show won't exist in a few years? There are good ideas in place in terms of Show Me the Money, but it's not necessarily a good format. But maybe with a bit more playtesting and a lot leniency on, on the Switch in questions, who knows? This is, could be a cult classic in another name. And the 25-hour game show throwdown will be July 27th in Glendale at the Hyatt Place. Be sure to check it out. Now it's time for the 110-part series, looking at every pricing game on The Price is Right. This is the Pricing Game Spotlight.
This is a big one, folks. Cliffhangers. Premiere date, April 12th, 1976. Number 1891D. Premiere date in the Drew Carey era was October 16th, 2007. 4042K. Aired of October 29th, 2007. Played on center stage. Finale date with Barker's was June 12th, 2007. 4032K. Cliffhangers has a cardboard mountain climber who climbs up a mountain based on how far the contestant misses the price of a prize. And missing it by too much could lead the mountain climber to his doom. Here's how the game works. The centerpiece of Cliffhangers is a game board with a stylized mountain slope angled at about 45 degrees. It has a scale which runs from zero at its base to 25 at the peak which ends at a cliff. At the start of the game, there is a mountain climber at the zero mark at the base of the mountain. The contestant is shown a two-digit prize and asked to bid on it. If he or she bid the actual price, the mountain climber stays where he is. Otherwise, the climber moves up the mountain, advancing along the scale. The number of dollars away the contestant bid is from the actual price. To give an element of suspense to the game, the actual price is not revealed until after the climber has moved so that the contestant and audience will not know how far he will travel. If the climber remains on the mountain, the contestant wins that small prize. The process is repeated for two more two-digit prizes, generally of increasing value. The climber continues from the point in which he has stopped for the previous prize. If the climber goes over the cliff at any point, the game ends, However, the contestant keeps any small prices when up to that point in the game. If the contestant's bid are a total of 25 bucks or less away from the actual prices of the two-digit price at the end of the game, the contestant wins all three small prizes and the grand prize. Though not a card game by nature, it's one of the few non-card games played at minimum once a season for a car. Other games include range game, race game, pushover, safe crackers, squeeze play, and double prices. The game first premiered April 12, 1976. Originally, four small prizes were offered. It was reduced to three on June 10, 1976. On its first playing, it was lost on the fourth and final prize. Yodeling Song, which has become a cornerstone of the game, is played as the mountain climber moves up the mountain. An audience would oftenly clap along. The music currently used as part of a song called On the Franches Mountains, which was originally drawn from a record album titled Swiss Mountain Music. The show has occasionally used the full song as prize music when trips to Switzerland and Holland were offered. And I think it's time that we play just a bit of that song, shall we? Just so you know, this is Cliffhangers. Originally, the yodeling music was used was a portion of the Silly Song from Walt Disney's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs until December 23rd, 1986. The game used a crashing sound that was also used in hurdles for when the climber fell. On the January 21st, 1993 episode, as the mountain climber fell, the one-way horn was accidentally played at first instead of the crashing sound. But then seconds later, the crashing sound was played. Bob remarked, that was quite a drop. I was going on before he hit bottom. He's in bad shape. Oh, no, don't. Oh, we won't get on to see him. There have been other instances where the game has had some minor humorous malfunctions. The mountain climber stopping at the wrong place, moving backwards, stopping and starting again. 
Bob Easley claimed the mountain climber had been drinking. When those occurred, for instance, on September 3rd, 1981, the mountain climber fell off the cliff, yet several rings still won the game, as she missed the prize from the final price by $1 after the mountain climber was on step 24. Which Roger Dobkowitz backstage came on the camera to explain what went wrong. On the third million dollar spectacular in 2003, uh, February 19th, 2003, 009SP, Ervor, February 12th, the motor failed for the first time. It was the only time to date, and so Dave Price backstage turned the crank to operate it manually. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, May 10th, 2001, weatherman from Fox 5 in Phoenix, Arizona named Mike Woods played cliffhangers for a $3,540 living room group. Unfortunately, he lost a game on the third prize, leading Bob the Quip into every weatherman's life. Some rain must fall. Mike may have come back, though, going to win a showcase, showdown in a showcase. Okay, fine. On June 17th, 2013, the wedding shower episode trip to Aruba for 22 people were $47,017 was offered and won. On the September 24th, 2013 episode, originally scheduled the air, it was Big Money Week. Cliffhangers was played under special rules that let the contestant play for up to a quarter million dollars. Rather than playing for one large prize, as usual, the contestant would get $10,000 for each space on the board left at the end of the game, which meant that if the contestant had gone all three prizes exactly right, a quarter million dollars. This would explain why the climber began on step one instead of step zero. In the playing of the show, contestant Kyle Coral missed the three prizes by $22, meaning he won thirty grand. On October 24, 2013, contestant named Eric Draper won a $20,000 bonus because of PCH week. Oh boy. That was in the first slot. 43rd season premiere. A mountain climber replica was offered to contestant Curtis Braswell. On February 13, 2015, Bachelor and Bachelorette parties in Mexico where $39,000 were offered and lost. Cliffhangers was played perfectly three times. February 20th, 1996, number 9862D. March 27th, 2001, 1752K. And June 4th, 2002, 2202K. Cliffhangers was played six times in a primetime version of the show. On top of that, they were all one. On the August 11, 2015 version, Summer Beach Party Special, decorated for the balance game, large version of the mountain climber, dressed up in summer gear with a surfboard being featured. On the March 25th, 2016, College Rivals episode, Megan McAlee of Arizona State won an 18 $18,245 Kia Soul, while Scott Buscemi was denied. I hate those episodes. On April Fool's Day 2016, as a joke, it was called the Yodely Guy Game. It was said Mountain Climber was facing backward. On April 12, 2016, the show celebrated the game's 40th anniversary with a 40th anniversary cliffhanger special show. Remember, April 12, 2016, 7492K. On that day, it was not played six times like the Plinko special, but it was played in the third slot. On May 9, 2016, the game was featured on Let's Make a Deal as part of a mashup week between shows. Contestant won golf clubs. Rise per episode featured Car Punk from Let's Make a Deal. On June 22nd, Salvatore Salmon was off by $3. All in the second price, he got help from his wife in the audience. Big Money Week was once again played on October 20th, 2016. Uh, when the hot price was quarter million dollars, history was made when contestant managed to win $210,000 by winning on the fourth step. As a result, became the biggest daytime winner on The Price is Right. Century won 170345 on December 31st, 2013's episode. Unlike the big money week from 2013, though, the step numbers were replaced with dollar amounts descending from 250000 to 10000 Whatever step the contestant was on the end of the game was what the contestant won, as mentioned. On the 2017 Club Series link, Yakov Kessler won twenty grand from PCH. Summer Beach Party Week uh was 2017 cliffhangers was named cliff surfers on february 21st 2018 during big money week when the top prize was twenty thousand dollars contestant sean o'leary managed to win by winning on the 13th step the dollar amounts were replaced with normal step numbers oh 
There have been occasions where the contestant has given an obviously off bid in the first place, and Bob Hughesley dealt with it. On September 14th, 1992, a contestant named Clint bid $350 on a $25 watch. Bob, knowing what's about to happen, had Clint sit on the set with him as they waited for the mountain climber to climb and fall. On June 12th, 1996, another contestant named Eric bid $850 on a $23 deluxe guitar, originally going to bet $2,000 and later $450. Bob on that occasion started asked for the price before the mountain climber started climbing and then told the mountain climber hurry up and fall so they can move on. Belting out a tune. A contestant named Walter Hirsch yodeled his song after missing the first prize. The regular music played for a few seconds, at which point Walter started yodeling. He went to yodel after missing the last two prizes and stopped. We noticed the climber wasn't stopping. As soon as the climber fell off the ground, he mimicked the climber and fell to the floor with laughter and applause. On September 20th, which I think is the appeal of the show, by the way, this this that that is why this show, this game has a cultural relevancy. I think it's the song and it's the contestant interactions and things like that, which is very natural. On the September 22nd, 2006 episode, uh, 3685K, the final day of the season 35 premiere week, contestant named Mary Letitia also yodeled the song. Instead of her own yodeling background music, she went to yodel after missing all three prizes and stopped at the top. The popularity of the game has led to a life-size caught-out the mountain climber used in some showcases and one bids in season 37. The only music was used when contestant D. Ron Booker's showcase showdown spun in April Fool's Day, 2009. During the Decide Week, Rachel was given the opportunity to yield the song according to the results. As a result, the regular mountain climber was replaced with a cut-out version of Rachel, which she refers to her as her long-lost sister. Trivia! The three items that are used get a range from least expensive all the way to most expensive. The most number of times this game is played was 41. And Mountain Climber works. Uh, here's here's some Mountain Climber uh, looks. On Halloween 2009, uh, Drew dressed up like the Mountain Climber. On June 7, 2013, Mountain Climber dressed like a motorboard and gown for the graduation uh, special. June 17th, Mountain Climber dressed as a groom for the wedding shower show. Halloween 2013, dressed like the Grim Reaper. On March 3rd, 2014, dressed up like in a onesie for the baby shower show. March 17th, 2014, dressed up in green for St. Patrick's Day. May 22nd, 2013, and June 6th, 2014, aired out of order, Mountain Climber got a firefighter suit to salute firefighters. February 13th, Mountain Climber was dressed in a tuxedo for Valentine's Day. February 18th, dressed was Rachel Reynolds. Uh, July 4th special, Mountain Climber dressed like George Washington on the boat. You know, the Potomac. Uh, as I mentioned above, April Fool's Day 2016, Mountain Climber faced the other way. April 12th, 2016, 40 anniversary special, the Mountain Climber held a yellow balloon that had the number 40 on it. On the Amazing Race special, May 25th, 2016, Mountain Climber wore a backpack similar to what the contestants wear on the Amazing Race. On November 23rd, 2016, a Mountain Climber wore a chef's uniform. This led to a bit of embarrassment. His hat was too tall and thus hung up on top of the mountain. Contestant Madeline Brady has $99, so Drew Carey had to push him over the edge. On June 20th, 2017, during Summer Beach Party, it was called Cliff Surfers, and the Mountain Climber was modified with a surfboard, losing his shoes, leader hose, and hat, and pickaxe. Surf music was played instead of that iconic song we just played. The Climber's name has changed. Barker and Tom Kenny's version never referred to the Climber by name. Only the Mountain Climber, nor any host in the UK or Italian versions, referred to him by name. Doug Davidson in the 90s called him Hans Gudegast, which is the birth name of this young and restless co-star Eric Braden. When Cliffhangers was lost on this version, Doug would often joke that Hans was being rushed to Genoa City Memorial Hospital. In Drew Carey's version, he noted that the climber does not have a real name. It's only referred to by Hans as the Davidson. Yodel man is the most frequently yodely guy. Dennis James's version, 1976, the climber was referred to as Fritz. 
because he didn't know the name of model Janice Pinkinson's first husband, Fritz Stomberger, who had disappeared in what was presumed at the time to be a mountain climbing incident shortly before the debut. After the climber fell off the cliff, Dennis said, there goes Fritz. This upset Janice so much she remained backstage crying for the rest of the episode. Because of this incident, it was speculated that is what led to Dennis James being dismissed from his hosting duties for The Price is Right, with Barker taking over until its cancellation in 1980. And it's also why Janice was never present on stage with the game, modeling the three small prizes with the exception one time in November 1993. Larry's version in Australia, the mountain climber's name was Cliff. Cliff is accompanied by a St. Bernard named Spot. When the game was lost, only Cliff fell, leaving Spot on the mountain. The climber also shakes to indicate a crash effect when Cliff falls. On Marco Regal's Mexican version, it was named Poncho. Carlo in the Netherlands uh, called the climber Malcolm. Harry Vineyard in Germany called the climber Hoffel. Wayne Brady called it Sven on the May 9th, 2016 Massive Bear when Cliffhangers was played on Let's Make It Out. Surprisingly, on the October 12th version, when the mountain climber came back for a brief appearance on the show during the 1 for 30 week, the name Sven was never mentioned, and Wayne was told the mountain climber was originally called currently. Price is Right Live, the name Johan was occasionally used. In foreign versions, Cliffhangers had the same format, uh, such as their, their price. Uh, the price was had a range associated with it, and it could have sent a bit in that range account. Also, on Mexico's Altonian El Preso, the game was played using grocery items. In Finland, the climber goes leftward rather than rightward, but otherwise the game is the same. On all UK versions, also Doug Dur Davidson version in the US, the prices are announced one at a time, similar to the car plugs and the triple play. Therefore, if the mountain climber falls before whatever prices are left, no plug is read for those. Most, if not all, versions of cliffhangers outside the United States have the mountain climber screaming when he is falling. Other versions of the game are as follows. In the UK, Netherlands, and Finland, it's just called cliffhanger. In Australia, it's, you know, it's just cliffhangers. Mexico, La Montana, Sinestra, the Sinister Mountain. Germany, Obstrust, or Crash. France and Quebec is called Le Trion, the Trialon. Uh, Italy, La, <laughs> La Scorgeria, the Cliff. Uh, Portugal is uh, Precipice, or Price Peak. Indonesia, Zara Zambak, or Tread Carefully. In Thailand, Ying Sung Ying Zhao, the higher it is, the more thrilling it is. Ah, uh, jeez, that's, I'm, I'm, lo I'm losing my voice here. But man, I love Cliffhangers, an iconic game, and I can't wait. Uh, it's, it's right up there with, the, with, uh, with Plinko, I feel. So I, I'm so glad I get to finally cover this on the Pricing Game Spotlight. A fantastic game. Next time on the Pricing Game Spotlight, we're going to be playing Safe Crackers. In a couple weeks from now, I have already in the canister the D Who Wants to Be a Millionaire episode. It is with Rich Liebig. It was a great episode. I had a blast. There were so many different things to bring up about Millionaire. We mostly bring up Regis Philbin and try our best to go down the list. The show is ending after nearly two decades on the air, and I wanted to go into so much details about why but I might save some for the later episode. I want to take the time right now to explain what happened. The ratings were simply not there for this show, and it had to leave. Molinar is a great show. The lighting, the soundtrack, the drama, but what ultimately sells the show is how it isn't like any other game show. If at the time game shows had gray floors or white floors, this had metal and glass and spotlights. Where others zig, it zagged. But so many things from the show, the lighting kit, the dark floor, the dramatic lighting, prize trees, that show up in so many primetime game shows now, 
owe a whole bunch to who wants to be a millionaire. Now, there'll be people who say, what killed millionaire? And it's a tough story. But ultimately, I'm going to say the opinion that is probably the most wrong. The thing that killed Millionaire was simply making it a syndicated show Monday through Friday in the first place. The strong appeal of Millionaire was those episodes could pop up any time. January before Super Bowl, every day this week and this week only, Christmas, it did not matter. But it was only six or seven nights and then it'd be gone for a few months, making them must-see episodes. It loses that edge when it's in syndication. That's not to say Meredith wasn't a bad host, but the problems that come with a show that's made for every day is that it loses its hype. Meredith was the longest running host, more than Regis, but they tried everything they could to keep the show refreshing, from changing phone a friend because Google, to ask the expert, or making double dip a thing, to speeding up the show by adding a clock that got people getting the incorrect answers early on, making the show not that much fun to watch, then getting rid of that clock in favor of getting people to stand up and play a game that someone like Deal or No Deal with values and difficulties shoveled up as well, giving people the option to jump or skip the question, forgoing the money acquired on that correct answer. It moved from New York to Connecticut, to Las Vegas. Meredith left to do a talk show. Then Cedric the Entertainer became the host. Because Steve Harvey was a king of comedy, why not try with another? He wasn't sure-sure after a couple of seasons. Then it went to Terry Crews from Brooklyn Nine-Nine's first season. After that one and done, it went to Chris Harrison from The Bachelor and went back to basics with 50-50, Ask the Audience, and Plus One, which became the new phone of friend. But with a friend in the audience for the entirety of the question... But during all of this, nobody, not for a decade, was able to win a million dollars. Barely was there even a million dollar question. And if audiences see that it's nearly impossible to win the million dollars in this version compared to the one that was on the Regis Air on ABC, they'll simply stop watching. And slowly but surely that happened. No longer does the money double. No longer was there an $8,000 question to $16,000 to $32,000 to $64,000. For the best players, they get to question 10 worth $50,000 and stop at $30,000 or take a risk and fall and go back to $5,000. They did not want the payouts. The difficulty was so massive, and most of all, it wasn't the millionaire people remembered. When the show is slightly brighter, no longer nerve-wracking, no longer has chairs for contestants to sit in, no longer has the hosting style that puts people on edge and replaces hexagons with italics, is it really Millionaire? You might say it was a multitude of things that killed Millionaire, from going to a clock format, to going to a shuffle format, aka Megamix, to changing hosts multiple times, to losing its unique New York flair and style. But if you ask me... Millionaire was doomed to fail the second it was announced it was going into syndication. And that's not the fault of Meredith. That's not the fault of the crew members. That was taking something that was red hot and popular in the United States and cooling it off. The same thing happened with Weakest Link with George Gray. Hell, they tried that with Deal or No Deal. It simply does not work. Don't take primetime giants that become iconic broadcasting and take it to the Monday through Friday against Maury Ellen, and Judge Judy. You simply cannot win. Does this mean Millionaire is over? In syndication? Obviously. But don't be surprised if in January 2020, they announce a return of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire on ABC, hosted by Joy Behar or Rob Marciano for six nights, just to test the waters a bit to see if it can still be done again. 
that will do it for us this week. Join me again next time for another great game show, I suppose. Until then, be sure to watch Boston Legal Wednesday nights at 9 on ABC. And big smooch. Mwah! You'll never live like common people. You'll never do what common people do. You'll never fail like common people. You'll never watch your life slide out of you. And dance and drink and screw. Cause there's nothing else to do.